right, everybody, we are back to give you some more stuff and fun and foolishness on Megashine. <laughs> oh, what's going on, everybody? What's going on, Nick? Uh, you know, nothing but the rent. Trying to stay sane in this insane world. Oh, Lord. I'm because right. folks are trying it. it. They are. This whole, you know, shut down a government and people getting arrested and then people getting caught up. Like, it's a lot going on within the first three weeks of the year. If you stop and think about it, <laughs> it's been like the first four weeks of the year. It's like, it's been a lot. Right. I thought we was going to do better. <laughs> I know. We started out with just bullshit. Being trash. Yeah, already being trash. You got people to, you know, D.L. Hoogley trying to fight Terry Crews and go get his ass beat. Like, you got so much going on right now. It's just too much. It's too so, much. So what have you been up to since we last talked? Well, um, you know, pretty good stuff. Um, some really good news that I really can't get into, but let's just say I, I got to visit a certain place, talk about certain things I created, strange lore, and, you know, there's some interest. So I was really excited about that. I can't really, I hate that I can't really share it. Um, but um, that, that's that been a good thing. Um, still making money, that's a good thing, too. <laughs> I mean, right. And, made, you know, paying things off really well. Try to get prepared for the con season because it keeps creeping up. And um, if y'all don't know, I am editing, co-editing a gay anthology um, graphic novel. What? And, yeah. I've tweeted that. Um, so I'm, I am um, co-editing a, a, a queer anthology um, called Crush. It's about the crushes we have over, you know, type of crushes we have and how it's looked at in so many different ways from a very crisp perspective. And we've been able to look at a lot of different artists, a lot of different stories to get this book out. I've been working with um, Tara and Tara is a wonderful trans artist and creator. And we've been really putting this book together. So y'all will hopefully see it soon. Um, and you'll hear more about it. And of course we're going to, push for that eisner so that's what i've been up to nick what about yourself <laughs> nothing no <laughs> not a goddamn thing uh, no i've been keeping low uh i finished because oh, we i'm not doing all of these projects like you darling but uh <laughs> i um i finished god of war um and god of war i think is one of my top 10 games top 10 favorite games i've ever played mm -hmm. and the twist at the end i did not see coming um because you know all throughout the game he has his little son kratos and his son is named atreus but atreus is not his real name i'll say that Um, what else? I've uh, watched uh, those two Fire Festival documentaries oh, that were on Netflix and Hulu. So, <laughs> okay. Let's talk uh, about that for a second. Yeah, yes. The, the fact that they got gooped, these rich kids, was hilarious in itself. It was. But what was really 
sad to hear was the um the black people that basically had to work for free. Yeah. And still didn't get paid. And I forgot the woman's name, the woman that were uh, was basically feeding all these people and she like had to spend I think it was like $50,000 of her savings just to feed everybody and they didn't care about her, they just left. And finally, after those these documentaries premiered, there was a GoFundMe. And I think like the last time I checked, it was like at 80 some odd thousand dollars for. Um, but what really got me was Miss Girl <laughs> saying, Oh, I went down there. Basically, they pimped out one of the uh backers mm-hmm. to go down to the customs to suck some dick for $170,000 worth of Avion water. Now, I don't have a problem suck dick. (laughs) However, you're not going to tell me for my job that I have to go down to the customs and to the customs uh, building and suck out the customs agent to get this damn bottled water in. Like, what kind of shenanigans was this? I know. And I was like, well, first, what is the... Let me, I'm going to be honest. I would be like, first of all, what does he look like? Because that that's my role. Because <laughs> it's like, if this person ain't cute, then we... This is this. Mm. But anyway, you're right. The fact that this man was prepared to go down there, I was like, your self-worth must be shaky. Because I'm like, yeah. first of all, we're not doing that. We're just not going to do that. And I wouldn't be telling everybody I was about to do that. He act like he was, what he was about to say wasn't going to get out. I know. I'm but, like, girl, um, what? But he also act like it was just like I had to, you know, like, like this was like, I'm going to help him, like, move a table. Like, it made it so, like, so, I'm like, this ain't a simple gesture. I was like, sir. It's like, this is, but you're right, though. I only watched the Netflix one. I didn't watch the Hulu one. And I know some people say watch the Hulu one, but the Netflix one was pure entertainment at uh-huh. one in the morning. So I watched it one in the morning. I think after you tweeted something that Friday night, I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm still up. Let's just put this on and see what happens. But you were right. This was white privilege at its peak. <laughs> like, it was like they trusted this man. Just kept giving him money. Here we are struggling to get money, you know, just, you know, to survive. This man was just giving money. By what merits? None. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they kept dropping. And not like $100. Like thousands, millions. Crazy amount. One woman just giving him money. I'm like, is he like, are y'all like doing something? Is his dick the bomb for y'all, for you to keep dropping money to Billy? And Billy, he looked like somebody who, you know, just wanted to fit in and will tell you lies to fit in. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm just like, he looks, I don't know, sociopathic in a lot of different ways. And the fact that he just kept getting the trust of these people when they knew this man was lying was um, amazing. Like, I'm like, wow, this man could have murdered your mama and you still would have gave him a dollar. Billy, Billy looks like the one that thinks gourmet bologna is like a thing. Probably so. And the fact that he was on bail (laughs) and then still trying to defraud folks by 
telling folks what to say about giving these uh trying to give tickets away to tickets that you can't even get tickets to like you know damn well there is no way on god's green earth that you can get tickets to the met ball to victoria's secrets fashion show to all of these things that you know there is already a pre uh, there's a list of people that are going to go yeah this is not open to the public this is not the public library yes and also, what people don't know is those same type of companies are the ones, they also do that to, to Comic-Con as well. They always try to say, we can get you tickets to Comic-Con. And it's like, no, you can't, because that system is based on you. Like, it's like, you have to sign up. Your name is on that. They don't give that off, but they do that to Comic-Con as well. So I noticed that type of, that type of uh, company, whatever you want to call it, um, but they do that with Comic-Con, too. And the fact that the, there were folks going along with it. And they, I'm like, first of all, y'all on camera, so they know not to trust you mm-hmm. <laughs> for any other thing. But I was sitting there like, wow, this is amazing. But it was funny. What I, what I think is funny is the fact of this influencer thing, because I was like, I ain't heard of none of these folks that y'all keep talking about, except that Kendall girl. But I was like, I ain't heard of none of these folks. And I was like thinking, of course, because we're not the target market. Market. These are these white folks who, I don't know, they jump off a hill and all of a sudden that gives them a million likes. Like, it's like they're the ones who eat rat poison or, I don't know. Sad uh, pods. Put their own cum in their mouth. Like, whatever they do, they do stuff like that. And they okay, get that's not such a bad thing, but, you know. I'm just saying. But, you know, they, they just do, like, these stupid things. When you, you know, there's more talented people on the net than these folks but apparently they are influencers like they were showing like these people i'm like i have never heard of these folks in my entire life like they're not like you know they're not like um Izoe or i can't i'm saying his name wrong like people like that that you see mm-hmm. all the time you know that deserves you know to probably be doing being influencers but i'm like these are not influencers for everybody these are like for boring white folks but i personally felt they got what they deserve. Because who's going to pay? First of all, you're not even paying. The fact that they were paying all that money, and this is not, mind you, this is not Coachella. Coachella, I can never say the word right. Coachella. Yeah, it's not that. I understand you paying $1,000 to get a good spot to that. Because you're going to see maybe Beyonce or somebody of that caliber. But I was looking Beyonce at Beyonce ain't doing Coachella again. Not with them. They was not as hype as they should have been. No. But that's neither here nor there but the funny thing was i was like who are y'all seeing at at this fire fest besides ja Rule? Like, i was like who are y'all seeing that you paid all this money for and you paid all this money for it to do what be amongst people that you can be amongst for free because i was like thinking if a lot of y'all from la and san francisco y'all can see each other for free so i'm sitting there going like <laughs> what are y'all doing it was just some of these people from different parts of the world and i love that because it wasn't even an influencer that brought it down. It was somebody who had less than what five hundred, um, less than a hundred um, right. followers on Twitter that did it. I'm like, so all these influencers, it was it took one who, to some rando, and it was also some I think it was a rando who sued and got all that money. So I'm just like, y'all need to quit depending on certain influencers. And that's another thing that maybe we'll get into one day is about the true power of influencers, because I don't really think it's as there's power in it, but it's not lasting power. 
You know what I mean? It's like a, a boost. It's like when you have to get a boost, you know, for your uh, battery, your car battery. It's like, we'll get you to the to auto store, but it's not going to carry you all the way through. It's like, well, it's like one of those, I don't know what I'm trying to say, because this is auto talk, but um, it's like a, it's like a spare tire. It's not, it'll get you where it's supposed to get you to, but it's not meant to be permanent. So I really sometimes feel like that they need to really, like an influencer to me is Beyonce. That's an influencer. Oprah mm-hmm. is an influencer, not Kendall Jenner. That's like, oh, I got, I bought some makeup. No, that's not okay. But does that continue on? So I have an issue with influencers, but that's another thing for another time. Can we also get into the lie that was told that uh, Ja Rule was a hip hop mo- uh, mogul? Because <laughs> that just that just bothered me. I'm like. <laughs> Just because Ashanti was telling you that you was always on time does not mean that you, my friend, are a hip-hop mogul. What fantasy were you living in? And also, he does not understand what fraud or false advertisement is. That was funny, too. I was like, I remember I saw him at a homecoming one time, and I was like, ugh, I knew you was so full of shit. I'm punk ass. I'm like, don't don't let me get fifty cent on you. Cause didn't he body that ass when you was coming out? You were saying you was from the hood and whatnot, but you was just living in what a gated community of some shenanigans, saying that you was just so just rough and tough, ready to rumble type of a brother. But you know, you weren't. So that was the biggest fraud in my mind. Telling us that you were a hip-hop mogul like (laughs) sir if you don't sit your ass down somewhere and give these people back their money money i know you don't have true like jay-z is a hip-hop mogul he can buy things can you buy stadiums can you buy (laughs) yeah i know he can maybe buy followers but that's about it. You put a down payment on something? Because I was like, if you were a mogul, you could have paid for this fest yourself. A true mogul would have been like, this is mine. And this is how, you know, okay. All right. But I I just, ugh, yeah. No shade, but you know, white folks, y'all get bamboozled easily with this fire fest, Trump. Y'all get bamboozled. Y'all need to like have a, conversation like i don't know who y'all grand leader is ellen or somebody so y'all need to sit down <laughs> conversations about why are we so easily fooled Firefest uh festival reminded me of a certain fan con festival that didn't Lord, happen but Lord. you know what yeah that did bring that and i i saw that that brought up some heated feelings um i saw that um somebody asked me about fan con and i was like you know what this is for me. This is for me. I have, de- I have embraced it. I have dealt with it. I have grieved with it, and I'm, I'm gonna just let it go because I, I've, one of the things I've learned is, you know, after a while, you can only be mad for so long. <laughs> to the point, I can't have that, you know, weighing me down. And I'm like, you know what? We, we, we learn from that. We kind of rise from that. You know what I mean? Like there was the the other con they popped up from that and i was like okay we we can we 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 came out of the ashes yeah white comic con yeah 
So, you know, I know some people, it's, it's still a sore spot. I know for myself, I'm just going to move on. I, I just feel like it's best for my spirit and best for my frame of mind to move on. Because, you know, you can only hold on to so much anger and so much stuff for so long. I'm still holding on to people who, who didn't smile at me from high school. I, don't, I can't keep holding on to all these things. Because, you know, your therapist, anybody, your therapist, your, your counselor, anybody will tell you that holding on to these things and not directly dealing with them is not good for your mental health. So I'm just letting that go. I'm going to move forward. Um, and if somebody's thriving, I know some people talk about somebody thriving. I'm like, you know, I'm going to worry about me thriving. I can't worry about somebody else thriving. That's not, I got to worry about me thriving. You know, worry about mm-hmm. you. So, you know, I'm just saying this to the public. Don't worry about what somebody else is doing. Worry about what you're doing. If karma is karma, karma will come back at people who have done stuff wrong. But at this time, be selfish and worry about you. Worry about how you're going to get to the top. You know, I ain't got, my mom always said to me that um, don't worry about what Janice and John is doing across the street. Worry about if you still have a house tomorrow. And that's what I'm just going to do is worry about my house, my backyard, my lawn, and just move on from there. I can't, I got, you know, I'm trying to get stuff popping for me. So I ain't got time to worry about somebody else. <laughs> so uh-huh. that, again, for me, I know other people process things differently, but for myself and my mental health, I'm just going to keep moving. I'm going to pack my bags and be like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep going. I will say, um, I'm not so much as angry about it as still disappointed and yeah. feel still feeling kind of bamboozled. Yeah. I don't think those feelings will ever completely go away. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the level of trust that I once had and people that I admired and looked up to will ever be restored. Mm-hmm. Same. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't want to say it is what it is, but fate happened. Yeah. And all I can do personally from now is speak to what I know happened, what I feel should have happened, and what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think the blurred community as a whole really needs to take a look at themselves and because they are becoming the same gatekeepers that once didn't allow us in. Mm-hmm. And they need to, we need to really do something about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that for us to move forward, we have to let go of a lot of that negative energy. We have to just be like, okay, that was a pit stop. That was a detour. How do we rise from that? And how do we move forward? How do we learn to, to challenge each other? How at the same time, respect each other and respect that we're going to come at this very differently. Um, But also really check ourselves about how we, uh, how do I, like, how do we, how do we put people as leaders? Cause I think some people want to self appoint themselves and I also think some people want to believe that somebody will, you know, they want to believe that we should have 
what our leader should be. I think what we need to do is make sure that we're providing a space where people can rise and be successful, but also be able to have that same respect of like if they give back. Like, I, I don't know how to really articulate it completely. I just really want us to be open to differences within our community as well as be very critical of how we do things and be critical in a way that is still um, supportive. Not be mm-hmm. critical to slam everybody down, but be critical to be like, I'm trying to help and this is what I hope that the outcomes will be we will all be successful. Let's not spend so much time tearing each other down to the point that nobody wants to do it because it's like they have to worry about what you're going to think. Mm-hmm. And also, let's not try to self-appoint ourselves as the leader. You have to earn that. And no shade to, you know, Nick and people under under 40 or under 35. I, I, do, think, oh. <laughs> I do think that sometimes the the 30 and younger generation have you have to understand there there you have to earn there's an elevated opinion of ourselves i think sometimes some i think sometimes people do have that and i'm like that these are things you have to earn you have to earn that respect you have to earn people um turning to you and that goes a long way that that is career-wise that is everything you have to earn these things in order to be put in these places. And if you don't earn it and you just put yourself up there or something happens where you up there and you didn't work for it, it will show. So these are things you have to earn. You have to have the receipts. As we say to this day, you have to have the receipts. I have to be able to, when I talk about Janet Jackson, there are receipts. I talk about Beyonce, there are receipts. When I talk about Phil Jimenez, there are receipts. When I talk about um, George, Perez, we'll mention him. There are receipts. There have to be receipts on your work. Kevin Feige, who's been doing Marvel, there are receipts. So there have to be receipts about you in order for us to really feel that you are a credible person as well as a leader. But if you're not doing it in that way, if you have not earned it, it's not going to stick. So I feel like we have to learn to work for it um, and enjoy that journey of that work. But also be aware that when it were great power, there is that comes that great responsibility, and I think that's what we have to kind of take take in that 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 phrase and believe in it. So yeah, I'm sorry I just put out the whole a lot of jibber jabber, but I just feel like for our community to move forward, we're gonna have to stop being stalled by foolishness. And just kind of keep moving on, learn from the mistakes and the and the mess that happens, but keep moving on, or we're gonna always have setbacks that keeps us from getting to where we need to get to. Mm-hmm. That makes any sense. If it don't, you can at me. But I'm just saying that I've I've watched on Twitter how these things just go awry, and I'm like, okay, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna still stay here? Or are we gonna move on? We're going to have to keep going, y'all. Damn, if that was the case, we wouldn't probably have made it after slavery. So we need to kind of keep going on. Move forward. Deal with your anger. But still use that energy to create, to be prosperous, to move forward. That's what I do. That's what I had to learn to do. So y'all got to get it together. But I also understand that comes with experience, age, and wisdom. So we gotta. you just got to get in there and go from there. 
Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> I feel like that was a lot, and we haven't even started the tea, but let's go ahead and get into it. Let's get into it. Let's, um, let's start out with something happy. Let's talk about George Perez. Yes. Yeah, so, George Perez, if y'all don't know him, he is a very, very, very iconic comic book artist and he has written things and he has done a lot of great work within the comics especially dc what a lot of us know him for is for the new teen titans when the new teen titans came out that's when we got raven um, we got cyborg we got beast boy we got all of them added to the roster that used to be like robin speedy which is um speedy was um well speedy was kind of like i think it was green arrows but then but even though he had the name Speedy, but um, then you and then you had a Kid Flash, and then you had Wonder Girl Dot. Um, and then when George Perez came along, he flipped the script to where, you know, the New Teen Titans was up par with X Men. You know, that was a comic that everybody was reading at the time, and he's a wonderful artist. Uh, but not only that, he relaunched, helped relaunch Wonder Woman in in the mid eighties um, when after the crisis of infinity earths and that went down wonder woman died in that series but she was reborn again in the new dc universe and he had a lot to do with that he had a lot to do with her um looking you know more like kind of a person that will look like an amazon with the super curly hair the olive skin um really giving her more of a myth mythical background that she deserved um, she, he has inspired many artists. I know Phil Jimenez will tell you to this day that that was one of the artists that really influenced him. But he has retired. Um, he's been doing work for many, many years. And when you see his work, you know it's his. He's done X-Men comics as well. Um, yeah. But he's retiring. Um, and it's, it's, it's good news because he's alive. Um, but, you know, he's leaving a very, very strong legacy. And he's a very good man. And, you know, if you are not, again, if you're not familiar with his work, please get into um, a lot of the uh, things he's done. So, again, I said the new Teen Titans, which was done in the 80s. Um, also, the new Wonder Woman that was done, I, I want to say, started in 87. Um, and I'm... Yeah, maybe off a year or two with that. Um, but also he, when the Avengers came back, he, um, in kind of the late nineties, two thousands era, he was working on that as well. And it was a very good arc because it was when, um, Morgan Le Fay and some of y'all know Morgan Le Fay from DC, but there's a Morgan Le Fay in Marvel and she kind of took over, um, the world that she made it more mythical. I never said that word. Um, but it, it was a wonderful arc there. And he did some great storytelling with Scarlet Witch as well. So y'all get into his work because, you know, this man has given us so much in the comic book world. Yeah. I mean, he's been in the industry for like 64 years. And like you said, he's, he's drawn nearly every character from the DC and the Marvel roster. Um, and like you said, he, uh, announced on Facebook that he's going to retire from the comic book industry, uh, at the end of 2019. Uh, I know that he's still going to make Comic-Con appearances for, uh, I know Dragon Con, um, Fetish Con, I think 
maybe um a few others um but yeah it's i think because of his health that he is retiring i'm not exactly sure um but yeah he gave us a lot and such beautiful work too i can't tell you Oh, the reason why I love Raven so much is because of him. Now, I'll be honest, I don't like this new Raven. Uh, I know y'all grew up with her looking goth and everything, but the original Raven was not like that. And I love the way she would just, oh, the way he draws her and how she, when she appears in that smoke and that whole look of her, that, that cape, you know, George can draw some capes, and some dramatic appearances. And I just love that so much. He gave, oh, Lord. I love the way he drew her. That was what made me read the comic. It was just the way he just drew her. But the detailing he puts in these characters, y'all, like, like it, even in, in, in Donna's lasso, like you can see the difference of her lasso versus Wonder Woman's lasso because she, I, I think her lasso, was it magic? But it was the fact that the detail he will put in just the little things from the creases in their teeth. He was just so good, y'all. And I, there's a wonderful uh, story, I think it's a king size issue or annual of X-Men, where um, Storm is kidnapped by this thunder god person. And just the beauty of the way he drew her and the, her powers and things was just amazing. So, you know... Again, this man was a gift to the industry, and you know he, his work will be missed. But I'm glad he will still be going to the cons. Yeah. So let's get into some video games. Mm-hmm. So Nether Realm had a uh, announcement for the reveal of Mortal Kombat 11. Mortal Kombat 11 is set to release on April 23rd of this year, and it's supposed to be even more bloodier more gorier uh it's now i don't personally have that much of a um a like i can handle a lot of gore and blood and all that shit but some of that shit that they were doing in this reveal was a lot um it Yeah, so let me get into it a little bit. So the story is supposedly supposed to pick up right after the events of Mortal Kombat 9. Um, Raiden has went on the deep end and is like pissed off. He's mad. Um, Mad as to, I don't know, because he's mad. um, But I think that will be revealed uh, throughout the story. There is a person who has been basically the puppet master behind the Mortal Kombat tournament since the first Mortal Kombat. So I think her name is Kronika. And everything that had happened was because of her doing. And because Raiden stepped in, now she has to play cleanup. So uh, the story will introduce... um, some kind of time travel. I believe they mentioned that some of the new characters will revisit their form, their older selves. So that will be kind of interesting. Um, uh, fatalities are obviously going to come back. 
some of these fatalities are crazy sick. Uh, there's a new character, well, at least one new character that they de debuted during the reveal. His name is Garrus, and he reminds me of, um, oh gosh, what is that guy's name? The guy that's in Captain Marvel, the black guy. Uh -huh. uh, he reminds me of that, how he is uh, strong in the cheeks. It has a really strong face. Um, he uh, also, that character reminds me of Tremor that was released on Mortal Kombat 10. Uh, also debuting are these custom variations. So in Mortal Kombat 10, you could have like maybe, I think there were like three different variations. Uh, and each variation had different moves and special moves associated with it. Now, those are coming back as far as these different variations and they're custom so you can you know color swap and all of that jazz but more will be revealed soon some of the characters that they also revealed uh were sonya which is going to be voiced by uh ronda rousey which is a it's a perfect choice um either i'm not that much of a fan of ronda but whatever um scarlet which she was a DLC character on Nine. Mm -hmm. She'll be coming back. Raiden, um, who else, who else? Baraka, Scorpion, Sub-Zero. Those are some of the people that are supposed to be coming back. Uh, now they haven't released the full roster yet. And I don't know if, um, I think because they'll do uh, a, probably like a DLC package like they did and other um titles they might release some more characters i know if you pre-order now shao khan is um a playable character which i know i've said it on twitter multiple times but shao khan could get it he might kill me but you know i'll probably die like a happy person <laughs> and i was thinking of maybe doing like a uh a lgbt only type of fight lobby around the time when it's released. So if you are interested in planning on getting the game, um, let me know. Send me a friend request on PSN um, and Porter for Life, number four, LYF, or send me, uh, you know, like a message on Twitter. So, you know, I want to kind of do that and I'll probably stream it. So more will be announced later for that. But I'm excited for this game, even though... Um, child, when I got on some of these fighting games, like Soul Calibur, I got my ass handed to me i was like oh, oh i'm not about that life really i'm really am not so i'll just stick to overwatch get my little games in here and there but lord yes good lord i've already seen people talk about these games and i just remember lord these characters and how they what about mortal kombat back in the day or i was like good lord Right, all that ketchup blood, and everybody will say, oh, these games are turning our kids bad. They're going to be killers and all of this shit. You know, all of that had went down, like, in the early 90s and whatnot. And I'm like, I think uh, my boyfriend had mentioned something. If the games that we have now were released back in that kind of environment, it would be a completely different way of video gaming. Um, let's get into some. We're still sticking with some good news. 
give Spider-Man news. So, Spider-Man Into the Universe, Into the Spider-Verse, is nominated for Oscar. Isn't it? Yes. Um, if y'all have not seen it, it's a oh, it's a glorious movie. I enjoyed it. I've seen it twice, uh, and that was nominated. Um, Black Panther is nominated for seven ass Oscars, um, and that's amazing as well. It is the first comic book movie to be nominated for best um, picture, not just for like oh best you know. Costume, like they got best costume because normally when it comes to comic book movies, they'll get like the best special effects type of stuff, special yeah. effects or costumes or makeup mm. or something like that. Got all of that, <laughs> but it also got best picture. Uh, so shout out to that team. I know they're excited. I'm not happy that they did not give Ryan director's credit. You know, they didn't nominate for best director, but you know, you know how that goes. Um, but again, happy to see those two movies get the shine they deserve um and you know we'll see what happens with the oscars because anything is possible when it comes to best picture because i remember when um crash <laughs> won best picture and i was like wait what i mean crash was at the time there was some good parts about crash if you look back at it now it's like okay but i was like oh. the cast was good like they, they got a lot of big names for that movie they did they did however whew. Lord, that was a lot to get through. It was. And I remember sitting like, I remember I, it was like, whoa, okay. I'm wore out. And I thought it was good at the time. Like, I still think it's a decent movie. I don't think it's bad. I think it's a decent movie. It was just a lot to take in. Um, I felt it, like it was, I felt like Crash was maybe for those people, those white people that, oh, I don't understand racism. Yeah, yeah. Or I don't, I don't see how I could be racist. I felt like it was like a, basically a freshman 101 class of racism. Yeah. Yeah, next to higher learning. If it was... It was oh, God. <laughs> I'm not going to say, but there's a certain school that I used to work at that actually still shows higher learning during Black History Month. I'm not going to call that school out, USC, but um, oh. I'm saying that they still did that. And I remember we sat there and looked, y'all going to really show that this movie? This movie was... We was watching this movie for RA training, but not RA training. Yeah, and, and Murray State University, that was the movie that they used to show us in RA training. I'm like, okay. Tara getting shot. But um <laughs> Okay, I cried when she got shot the first time. I, saw <laughs> I was hurt. I was like, how dare y'all do this to me? <laughs> uh. But um, yes. I, but I will remember this. this is so stupid. I remember our uh <laughs> when we watched the movie, they was like, and if they said to us, if y'all see a white man struggling like he was, you need to reach out to him and help him. I would never forget that. I was like, well, that's every one of them. But anyway, <laughs> that was a lot of them. Trust. That was a lot of them. But anyway, happy for them. And then also, Far From Home trailer came out a few weeks ago. Um, and that looks like that's going to be fun. Yes, I loved it. Um, Now, Kevin uh, Feige confirmed that it's supposed to be taking place after the events of Endgame. Hmm. So there was like a a few theories uh, going around that all of this was in Spidey's head when he was dusted off. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's cool. Uh, 
let's see, Mysterio, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's necessarily a villain villain here because it looks like he's fighting against, um, oh God, what were they called? Um, now, according to the, now, in the old comic world, um, they're the elementals. Yes. So, uh, I don't, I don't know what they got pulled up their sleeve, but mm-hmm. I'm ready for it. I know it's supposed to, Far From Home is supposed to be the beginning of the second phase. So maybe we'll see more magic, more mysticism, because, you know, Serio and you have these elementals. Mm-hmm. And there's been three, I think it's three versions of Mysterio. Um so we don't know what version. Well, we kind of know what version this is, but they could be mixing all of these different types of him. Um, also, someone brought up that. Well, someone said it could have been the U Men, and the U Men are kind of elementals. Um, you have to see the U Men. I think what I remember the U Men from is from the Avengers West Coast, because that's the West Coast Avengers, um, where they I know Scarlet Witch fought them, and she was messing them up big time but someone mentioned this could be the human and i'm like well, that'd be interesting too but i'm very interested to see what this is because this could be mysterio using his abilities to create these villains that's one theory I've, I've seen you know to make him look good um there's also you know interesting if it's after the the the, the end game because yes if it's after end game and the, you know the resnap the unsnap, or whatever you want to call it, this girl, we could see more magic and mysticism and mutants. Um, so this is interesting that we could see that. Um, so, you know, I'm open to it. You know, it looks like it's going to be a fun movie. You got, you know, Zendaya, you got, you know, she's playing, they will see more of their, I guess, romantic connection in this movie. Um, so, yeah, I, I was happy with it. I'm excited for it. Um, and, you know, there's so many rumors about what's going to happen after the end game. So it's just so much right now. Um, right now, we've been told that New Mutants may be released on Hulu. Um, <laughs> so I feel like they, basically, I feel like they are about to just say, you know what, just put this on Shutter or put this on <laughs> one of these, you know, these networks just to get it out and what have you. Um, also, you know, not any real news, but apparently people are now talking about Dark Phoenix because there's no embargo on it, but apparently people have been tweeting about what they saw. They're, none of them are consistent. None of these, somebody said it was good, somebody said it was trash. Someone said we're going to be surprised, someone said we will not. Um, I've noticed that the people who are saying this don't have over 100 followers on Twitter, so I don't know what that really means. Uh, but I haven't, But apparently that may not get released. That's what I've kind of heard, but I feel like they're going to do something. They have to do something with the money they spent. So. At this point, they have to. Like, mm-hmm. You can't say that a movie is coming out. You can't be in post-production with a movie for like eternity so you, whatever is done is done and you just release it we know it's gonna be not that good so and it's not like y'all gonna get a second chance anyway well, and speaking and, of, <laughs> let's just go ahead and get into the drama so 
Uh-huh. I could say. Before we get into the drama, you want to talk about uh, Gambit still being a thing? Well, Channing still wants to. I think he's going to try to produce it or direct it himself. Um, that is what's been said um, because, you know, everybody keeps dropping out of it. And, you know, Channing, you know, I appreciate Channing. I really do. He's given me great, you know, you know, I may be the only one on earth who enjoys Magic Mike 1 and 2. But I just think this is, he should let it go. Just let it go. He can do something else. Apparently, he's supposed to be working on the new He-Man live action movie. So I'm like, you go ahead and do that. You know, get your body right. Because, you know, do that. And, you know, we're going to be there. I'll be there for that. But let Gambit go. Let Kevin and his crew handle Gambit. Um, but he wants to still do it. I don't know. Maybe he has like a, you know, a, a true connection. I mean, I've, you know, we've read articles about why he really wants this. But I, I'm just not convinced. I don't think he's convinced and he's trying to convince himself that he's convinced. <laughs> I guess so. But you know, you know, Channing, you can do other things. Just let's just do other things. You got Magic Mike coming out on Broadway and oh, I think it's Broadway. Just let, let that be. Just focus on that. You know, get your coins over there. But let Gambit go. And you know, maybe talk to Kevin to see if you can be put into the universe. You can be put into the universe in some form or fashion. But Gambit. I, I, and and you know, I, I'm also in that in that world of I don't want individual X Men movies before the team movie. I want the team movie first, and even after the team movie, I don't think Gambit should be. I go back and forth because Gambit Gambit has a good story. There's a lot behind Gambit, but it has to be done right, and I'm just not sure. We're gonna get it until it's over at the MCU. And why are they? They said that it was supposed to be a heist movie, <laughs> and now it's supposed to be a love story between him and Bella. Mm. I'm like, they already said they have a date. It's supposed to come out March 13th, <laughs> well, 2020. It's not gonna happen. I said, well, I said, it, how it, you gonna have a date? They haven't even started filming. <laughs> they don't even have all the actors. <laughs> They don't even have a director. Like, do you have, have a script ready? I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that nobody knows the logistics of putting on a movie. Like, all of a sudden, we don't know how to do this. And to be honest, the love story between Gambit, or Remy and Belladonna, that, that didn't end well. So I don't know who <laughs> want to focus on that. That didn't end well. That did not end well. To be honest, this, okay. If y'all don't know what happened in the comics, she was mad. And Rogue, she went after Rogue hard. Mm-hmm. Um, using Kandra and some other people to handle that. So, Belladonna been, uh, I know some people know her mostly through the cartoon. But if right, if she comics, was like a, a jilted lover in the cartoon. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. Let's, you can put him, you know, I, I don't know if I'm ready for him to be in the X-Men movie, but let's just put this on this. Can we just put this on the shelf for a little bit? You know what I mean? Like, 
put this on the shelf and let's just see how everything else goes. Y'all can do a cartoon movie. Uh, uh, or just like let it marinate until y'all actually get to what the fuck y'all gonna do. That's true. And bring it out. But, you know, that makes too much sense. It does. Now let's get into our good sis. Um, Yo, uh, yoga sis. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody... Somebody said something about light skin folks stick together. I was like, that's that's not true. But um <laughs> I was like, y'all do not- act up though. Y'all uh, y'all waffle color niggas uh, sometimes <laughs> act up. I, I will say we we are a little bit much. But so the thing is, um, so if y'all have not seen If Bill Street Can Talk, you need to see that. That's a great movie. I saw it. Um it's it's sad, but the actress, I think her name is Kiki. Yeah, Kiki Lang. She is. Her people are like, okay, girl, you're rising, and you know Marvel's about to take over the X Men. So uh, let's 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 get this PR going. And her team, you know, I, kudos to her team. They knew. They was like, okay, let's get this started because they somebody on her team is like, everybody's talking about this character. Let's get you groomed for this. So they've been working on her, you know, to become Storm. And after seeing the movie, and after look, you know, taking some, I took some time looking at her. I was like, okay, I can see it. She's beautiful. She has the features. I can see it. She's a she's she was really good in Mill Street. So they've been trying to set her up to get this role, which is makes perfect sense. But Miss Ma'am. Had to come back because she knows she comes back every what six months, <laughs> right? <laughs> Coming up here talking about you know storm and colorism and what she brings to the table, and I'm like, ma'am, I don't know if this is, I don't know if you, I feel like you didn't learn the first two three times that we don't want you playing storm, and that's okay. You got to do it twice. Well, technically once. <laughs> you got to do it. We haven't seen the second version. So we you got to do it. And as Hallie said, the role will always be passed on to someone else who hopefully can do it better. If the woman who did it first says these things, then maybe you need to say that too. You need to say that too. And quit jumping on. Quit jumping on Twitter knowing that you're going to get dragged. It's like you It's like you come up there and you tie the ropes around yourself and you know they're about to drive you down the street. And so just don't, just stop. I, I, I think like her, that, that tweet that she said, oh, Black Twitter is so powerful. One minute they're praising you and the other thing is they're dragging you down and yada, yada, yada. I'm like, did nobody ask for this kind of response from you or nobody provoked you into saying this (laughs) so this came out of completely left field and you felt threatened because somebody wanted is interested in your role yes i get i get that you don't want to lose a bag i completely understand that but if you are not securing the bag or your merits are not helping you secure the bag then you have to look for other bags to secure. Mm-hmm. And you can't be upset with dark-skinned Black people wanting to see a dark-skinned actor in a role like that. Yes. 
like that almost seems she's saying it like oh well i'm black so that should be okay i'm like but no it's not okay and we've always had this conversation about how when it comes to black representation hollywood always fares on the light lighter skin and dark skin actors and actresses aren't looked upon they're always viewed negatively so for her to say that she doesn't understand or she doesn't get why people are upset about it makes me feel that she really doesn't give a damn because this is the second time that we've had this go around with her. And then she trouted uh, off her mom like this was supposed to be <laughs> like a, oh, oh, so that's her mama. Okay, so we can't touch it. I'm like, bitch, fuck you and your mama. How about that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I didn't even understand that. I was like, what the fuck her mama got to do with this? Yeah, no, I was like, okay. It was like, somebody take her phone away. I'm like, and we, we everybody was asking the same question. Where are her people? Exactly. Kiki got her people working on the main line for this girl. Your people should be doing this too. Like, okay, they should be like, okay, you coming out problematic right now. This is how your bags get taken away. And then you fucking up my bag. Yeah, you right. You messing up your manager, your agent. You messing up their bag. So if they really care about your bag, they will stop you today. Like they'll be like, okay, no, 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 no. Keep this. You can. Vent to us. We can sit in this room and you can just vent it all out. But when you get out in public to smile and grin and be like, I hope whoever has this role will do it just as well as I did. You can say something like that. And mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to be like, girl. But at the same time, you said your stuff and just keep it moving. Like, just just keep it moving. Because this, um, this is not... Yes, understand... Anybody who plays anybody, especially when it comes to comic book people, and you know how passionate we are about these characters, you should understand what that's going to do and what it's going to come off, how it's going to come off and everything when you're saying the things that you're saying. You're not winning the battle, so stop trying to fight it and just let it go. Don't come back on the internet again. Just be saying stuff. Just be like, I'm happy for the person who gets this role and I hope to have a great time like I did. And that's all you need to say. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to say. Because you have to remember, again, when you come up problematic on social media, that plays with your bag. And that's for everybody. If you come up problematic um, on social media, whether you work in anything, that can hurt your bag. That can also hurt people's vision and trust in you so please keep that in mind um miss girl just quit saying that and just be happy that you was able to do it um and let somebody else enjoy it and if they take it to a new level so be it i don't think the people who play you know there's been two other people who have been captain america before steve uh, before um chris um evans did it and you don't hear them crying over it they like the, I know that one actor who played him in seventies. I mean, he still gets. He goes to cons. He's like, yeah, this is you know, I'm glad. You know, I'm great. I had a good time when I did it, and so on and so forth. Be like that, you know. Like just don't sit up here and you know, and just be all in your feelings about it. You can be in your feelings, just don't do it on social media. <sighs> I just. <laughs> 
she's been she's doing enough but just take a break breathe twist your hair and just leave it alone I'll go out for a walk you know mm-hmm. i mean she's a beautiful woman just you know there's no need and not to focus on her beauty but it's you don't need to get so fixated on this thinking you can't do anything else you have right. i'm sure you're talented enough to do other things you have done other things she was in love simon wasn't she yeah so it's not like i i understand that playing a superhero especially in today's world where marvel owns a lot and it can get you a lot of notoriety mm-hmm. money you know all of that okay that's not looking like it's the route for you so Let's go find another route. Yes. And, and as that I said, is okay. And as I said earlier, you have to earn your steps to get there. Lapita is a Oscar-winning actress. She did mm-hmm. her spot up there. Other people, there's some people that have had in there who won Oscars or have been nominated to get these roles, or they have, you know, paved the way. They have been in other TV shows. They had to earn it to get there. Lord, Chris Evans, that poor boy. When you look back at how he had, he had to do some, some, some winning and some losing movies to get where he got to. And even when he got that role, people were like, who is this? Because, you know, there was other people, you know, that they hoped was going to be Captain America. And when, because I remember, I remember it. Wow, I, I looked at an old blog post when they were looking for uh, that I, I wrote when they were looking for Captain America and he was not even on the right as R. Like he wasn't even there. And when he got it, we were, everybody was like, who is this? So. Side note. So uh, there was one time that I went home to uh, my mom's and we were watching Cellular with uh, Chris Evans. I just <laughs> for some strange reason. Go ahead. <laughs> Why did my mom say, oh, what's he doing now? <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, mom does not keep up with these superhero <laughs> movies at all. You're like, ma'am. I was like, mom, where have you been? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny that you mentioned that movie. I just, it, I was, it was a random movie. I think it was on Netflix. I was like, am I going to, I was like, I'm going to watch it because I never watched it. But I guess that was one of his kickoff movies. That was like, it was oh, good. It was yeah, really it was good. good. It kept my, I was like, oh, okay, come on, Camp Bassinger. You know, I was like, um, but yeah, it was like, okay, it was good. It's one of the movies that I think that kind of began his career. Cause it was mm-hmm. like, they gave him, I think it was like one of the movies they just gave him like, okay, we're going to put you in this role and see what happens. Cause you know, that was the time it was given a lot of white boys movies. <laughs> just, he, was in, he was in not another teen movie. So we didn't yeah. think that he could transition yeah. past the, the, stupid well i won't say stupid the silly teen comedy so it was a big step for him yeah and he's like he's done some he's done some decent movies over the years like i i did like push push people don't talk about push but i think y'all need to rewatch push because that's that was like a superhero movie everybody had mm-hmm. powers he had powers um but yeah and there's another romantic movie he did that was actually really cute i think he directed that one or produced that one but it was really cute um but yeah miss girl just take a break do other films build up your your resume and then maybe come back come back and see what happens from there you, you never know you never know 
Um, on some different news, so there's been a lot of talk about LGBT media, um, and it took some hits in January. No, I'm not laughing at it, but it it took some hits. So, as most of you know, like HuffPo Gay is gone after Ellen is gone, after Elton I think is gone, um, and Into is gone. And Into was kind of recent. I think it was only around for what, 17 months? Yeah. Um, but at the time it was uh, a very interesting media place because it was really touching on a lot of queer issues, especially queer issues of color that we wasn't seeing um, in other outlets. And, you know, as, as most of y'all know, we had to call them out in the past about stuff like that. And so Into was a nice uh, space that was really highlighting us. Um, and it brought in a lot of talented writers. Um, it had a Black person who was the head editor, editor-in-chief. But they shut down. And they shut down um, basically to go to video, which everybody knows that's basically like when a TV show goes on Friday nights. <laughs> it's like, okay, we basically just put you out to die. Um, the video team, that was not really completely true because the video team actually said that, oh, nope, we're not doing anything either. So this is basically just killing it all. Now, there's a lot of rumors about why this is not, why it died, it, you know, from the CEO being called out about his views on marriage um, to people pointing out that the Ariana Grande article was something that kind of began the, you know, sharpen the guillotine. Um, so it was a lot of that because as rumors were saying, you know, when you start hitting certain celebrities, especially celebrities that are supposedly very LGBT friendly, you hit them in a negative way that could play a lot with your money too, because it's like, well, who wants to, you know, work with you corporately, you know, in a corporate setting, if you're coming after us a certain way. Uh Um, So yeah, and you have to, and the interesting thing is, yeah, that's a corporate situation. So if corporate says, you know, we're spending too much money and the results is some of this type of stuff. Yeah. You're going to, it's going to result to maybe some cuts. And sadly it did take way into um, a lot of people lost their jobs. Some people did bounce back and they work for different places now, but not everybody. Uh, and so it has also brought up the question of what about LGBT media? Is that taking the hit? Um, yes, it is taking the hit. Um, but it's interesting because some outlets will still remain. We still have out, we still have pride. We still have, um, advocate and out and, and, and advocate have been around for many de- for, for many years. Uh, a couple of decades, if you are a little bit more when it comes to the advocate and out. Um, and they are now being handled um, with a very inclusive group of people. So I'm hoping to see more from that. Um, I am a little worried about LGBT media because it is kind of dying out. And I remember when I was blogging, there was a time blogging was the thing to do. And we were really talking about a lot of things because there was a lot going on. We had we were dealing with gay marriage. There was still Don't Ask, Don't Tell. There were a lot of, you know, the anti, um, the, a lot of the anti-bills that was going to either keep us from working or getting us fired from working or keeping trans people out from doing whatever. There was a lot going on, I would say, way back 
and I, it's funny to say way back, I, but blogging was big in like the 2000s. And I know I jumped in it in 2007. Um, and at that time, there was so much going on. But I wonder if the corporations are looking at things like, what is happening? I don't know if they're thinking like, well, there's not a lot going on, so we want to put the money into it. Um, it and, and a friend of mine brought up, they were saying there is a big difference. There's not a lot at stake now. But I, I would beg to differ. There is a lot at stake now. Um, I do think we're just as in danger as we was back in 2000. Um, in the 2000s, early 2000s, I think that because we have Trump in office and we have, you know, certain, you know, hate speech, religious people in his ear, we do have to worry about these things. The attack on trans people in the military is something we do have to think about because don't ask, don't tell, could be right around the corner again. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's important that we do have the media, but I wonder, I wonder how it has to be done. Um, I, I, I do struggle with when corporations become our backers, that's where we become more in danger because they look at things from a bottom line. Oh, exactly. And I think this whole, the whole shutdown with into, I felt the outside looking in, I felt it was a power move mm-hmm. to keep those people in check because they, I was like, okay, y'all getting a little bit too big. And then those pieces with the, the Ariana Grande piece, the calling out your own boss about his anti-gay marriage views. I think that was some kind of a power move on their part to say, look, we still got y'all. And what you, what you won't do is fuck up our money. So as a result, we're going to fuck up your money. And I, and I hope, you know, I hope that's not true, but I can see where people, I can see where you can see that because it, it was, it was interesting how that just kind of went down. Um, especially when the SEO went to another publication to, to say his piece. Um, and yeah, I think that was a power move to show that, but also a power move I do wonder was that done also because it was queer people of color at the at the helm of it all. You know, it's like in the sense of like, okay, are people reading this because it's you know, or do they still want to see more white gay male stories? You know, like I I I don't know what to think, and it's hard for me to even want to speculate. The more I speculate, the more I feel more sad about it. Um, but I do wonder if gay media is or queer media is you know in danger because i feel like with more outlets gone where will we be able to really know more about our situations i i guess we have twitter and things now some people will say that twitter is killing media um Mm -hmm. but i've also feel like are we i made the the post like are we going back to blogging because i think at that time blogging was where we got most of our news in fact many of us as bloggers were asked to freelance for many of these places again i remember uh i'm not trying to brag about myself but i remember when i i was in blogging we were sought after a lot to write for huffington post to write for different places i was writing for balerico at the time um and we got a lot of great benefits you know we was not paid 
A lot of us were not paid, but we got good benefits of, like, for example, I got to go to the White House. I was able to go into the White House because of the things that I wrote and everything else. I was able to go. Now, I was, that was a free trip to hang out at the White House um, and get the proclamation, you know, go to different conferences and different events because of that. And I think at that time, we, because we were putting out so many things and so many stories, but at the same time, it wasn't really costing that much. It was easier to make these things happen. Now it's like, you know, you got a lot of people who they have to pay to do this. And I think they just felt like this was too much and we can just cut it off. I mm-hmm. also, I go back and forth with freelance because I know a lot of people are doing freelance. I, I don't freelance know. Freelance is not the, freelance is a beast. I will yeah. say that you have because, to like it. yeah. And I freelance don't is not for me. And that's, and that's what somebody was saying, like, to me, that was like, well, you were writing for free. And I was like, yes, but I also had a job that paid for my, that, that I didn't have to pay rent. I had my benefits. I had nothing to lose if I didn't, if I didn't write anymore. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, that was a, a thing I didn't have to think about, but I do believe that your goal should be, if you're going to get into this is I, this is what's my opinion and y'all can strike me down for it. I think you should have a plan to where it's like, if you're going to freelance, have a timetable for how long you're going to freelance, but always have in mind that you want to be a staff writer. Cause, and even with that, you may not get all the benefits and things like that, because it seems like it's a struggle. I think I was reading and writer doesn't get paid as they don't make like 40,000 a year or something like that. And if you're writing books, you're only making 20,000 a year. Um, so it's like, you got to think about like what you want to do. What is, what is your end game? Um, because as you see LGBT media getting chopped like this, you got to think about what the end game is. So freelance, but I, I think you should put a time limit to it. I don't know if it's something that you want to complete. I don't know if I could do it. I'll just say that. I don't I can do it. I was doing it for free, but I, like I said before, I had a job that was paying me well, and I didn't have to worry. That didn't matter, you know, to my to my ends. Mm-hmm. But if you are freelance, you do have to think about that. And I, I want y'all to have a timetable, and I want y'all to kind of land something where it's solid and you can live because it's really heart wrenching to see a lot of people that we know who are freelance and they're struggling. And I like, and I'm just like, wow, they, wow, I don't know what else you can do, you know, to to make things easier. And that's why I'm saying, have a timetable and try to be um, a staff writer. Like, get on, because some people have been very successful mm-hmm. in doing that. Like, they are writers and they have kind of done other things. But you may have to do other things. So, you know, my my advice that you didn't ask for if you're going to do this you may have to freelance but you may have to have something else i would go ahead i'm sorry well i said that was it i i couldn't i can't give any advice because i don't know what that world is Mm -hmm. i'm i don't i'm not a writer I'm not, I don't, I didn't go to school for writing or journalism or anything of, of that nature. So my knowledge 
of how to make it in that world is slim to none. That's not my, that's not my ministry. And so I'm just going to say, if you want to do it, stick with it, but also be realistic. Mm-hmm. And that's all, <laughs> girl, that's all I got for that one. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, I didn't go to school for writing either. And I didn't, but, you know, when I got into it, it was more of a hobby and for fun. And then when the, when the opportunities were popping up, I was like, oh, okay, well, sure. But I always knew in the back of my mind that I have to have something solid. Like I have to, I was, I'm living in LA. So I was like, I have to make sure that I can pay for this car note, um, that I can, you know, function, you know, I can go out to eat it out back. You know, I can do all these things. And that, that was always in the back of my mind. I never wanted to jump over completely into it. Script writing, even that is, that's tricky too. That is tricky because you have to pay, you have to pay for your benefits. Like that's not something that's given to you. So I'm fortunate to work in education where a lot of that is given to me. But at the, I, I think if I was freelancing, I would still freelance and still do what I'm doing right now just because I know it's not, you don't know what's coming next. Mm-hmm. And after seeing what's happened recently, especially for a lot of queer writers and stuff, my heart goes out to y'all. But I hope that, if you didn't have a plan, you have one now. I and I've seen a lot of publications like just close. Yeah. You know, it's not just the, the LGBTQ publications. Like, what was it? BuzzFeed was uh, getting rid of a lot of people. Yeah. It's like everybody, it seems like something bigger is going on as far as journalism. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it is attributed to the political climate. Yeah, I, I, you know, that's a good point that you make because I do feel like that's playing a part. But I also think it's because now places are realizing that, like I think about BuzzFeed. It's, you know, talking about them when they came up, they came up quick. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, I look back here in LA they had like several places they had a place on um Beverly they had a a production company um near Sunset they had a place in Venice they had places they had a place I think at Universal Studios because I think Comcast had something to do with them at one point and that's all gone that place in Beverly is gone I drove by there like months ago I was like oh I didn't realize it's gone the place the, the the production studio they had is that's gone um, and I'm like, I, it seemed like the plan that they had was not really well thought out, um, because it, it wasn't sustainable. And someone said this online and I don't want to completely claim it, but they said, you have to remember the same mindset it was for Firefest was the same mindset for many of these upstart places. And I was like, yeah, like, oh, hell, because they say, think about it, it's the same no shade to millennials. I don't want to keep saying millennials, but it was, it was that same mindset, that same group thing, not group thing, but that same, you know, mindset, that same group of people had that mindset that these things, they had it and it burst out there, but it was never sustainable. Um, so that is interesting because it's like, yeah, the CNNs, they're going to stay. 
Um, but these, you think about like BuzzFeed was really big with listicles, and then when they try to bust into serious news, eh. And mm-hmm. I, I think the recent thing didn't help when they was like, you know, they released that thing about Cohen and Trump, and that wasn't. And <laughs> I'm so mad at um Mueller's team because <laughs> they don't even talk. Now, see, I feel going back to that, there is some validity to that story that broke because yeah. I, I know because me and you watch a Rachel Maddow and the host, the guy that they had on there, he was picking apart the specifics of that story. Mm-hmm. So it didn't, it wouldn't make sense because BuzzFeed was hinging their entire publication on the story. Mm-hmm. And you don't, it felt like you don't, post or publish a story that this is this serious and has so much at stake without it being some truth to it. So sure, there were some inconsistencies of, as far as the specifics, but the overall story I felt was very true and all of their sources were very credible. Yeah. And I believe that too. I think that, I think when Mueller's team, they were like, wait a minute, <laughs> before y'all put all this, let us we got to get this stuff together. I like there was like, I do like there's some validity to it, but I think what Mullet was like, okay, slow your brakes because we haven't even revealed. So, right. And I feel like that was, and I would look back, I'm like, okay, because they, you know, they came out with the bombshell on um, old dude this week, Roger Stone. So I'm like, okay, I, I maybe I see what they were doing. Like they were trying to like, let's focus on this because we got to drop things the way it has to be dropped so nobody comes back at us. Um, but yeah, I, I do, I, I have seen like a lot of these places are just dropping and I do think it does have a lot to do with the political climate, but I also think it has to do with the model that these places are having. The model that they're using are not completely sustainable models. So they have to kind of think about like, what are you doing? And maybe you, do you need to have, if you're going to start up with something like this, like, do you need to have staff writers? Or do you need to start out with freelance and then when you get a good foot, then you go this route? I don't know. I don't know. But um, when it comes to queer media, it is disheartening to see that they're falling apart. But I wonder, are we looking at the models very closely? And also, a lesson that you can learn from from into is be mindful of who you're who are you allowing to write for you. Um, and also be mindful of how you're you're getting your stories out there. Because I, I do feel like the, after that Ariana Grande thing, that's when I begin to see the downfall. Um, because that, that, that was a hit. That mm-hmm. was a hit. And, you know, people had to come in and clean that up and everything else. And the editors had to put out a statement. And apparently the writer was getting death threats. And Oh, y'all, come on. Stop that. Because I remember I, saw, I was like, I was thinking... Cause I don't know if you remember this. I tweeted like I tweeted that it's about to be a, a war in queer media, and I said it's about to be a war. And I, cause I saw, I was like, this is about to be a war because that's money. You think of from a, from a corporation standpoint, it was like we ain't gonna have great like Ariana like Ari Grande will never give us an interview, and her mm-hmm. people will never trust us. But not only her people, but all the other people will be like, no, we ain't, no, no. Mm-mm. We saw what you did to her, so we ain't gonna, we ain't be fucking with y'all. I feel like that's what the, you know. If you go look at it from a corporate standpoint, they might be like, okay, we the opportunities may 
just dry up because of this. Because it takes right. stories like that to be like, one thing like that can hurt your business. And they probably thought, well, hell, we took a hit, so that's going to that's gonna trickle up to Grinder. We're not going to have that because they got enough drama within their own stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. probably, who knows? Again, that's speculation. I could be totally wrong. But I'm just thinking if I can see the meeting, because I know I've been in meetings when it comes to things like education and programs and money and funding. Sometimes it took like a, a fallout of a program or an event that'd be like, oh, cutting all of that because we can't afford to have that type of image. And after working in admissions for a university, cut and dry things were happening on, on the dock every day, all day. Because anything that hurts an image or hurts the credibility of an institution can get cut in seconds. Especially when you got a budget. Right. And after, and, and I can't compare those two, but after working somewhere again, where admissions to a university, which meant the money was paying for everything that will happen there, yes, things like things that will hurt the credibility of a college or a university would be cut. So I'm looking at it from that perspective of saying that anything that will hurt the money in the long run will probably get cut. Again, speculation. But, but you know, I hope that the writers, um, especially the freelancers, get picked up. It seems like a lot of the staff writers have been picked up, but a lot of the freelancers, you know, my heart goes out to y'all, our heart goes out to y'all, and hopefully y'all get picked up somewhere. But again, I hope this will get y'all kind of prepared for plans um, about how long you want to do this because, you know, it's sad to see some of the stories out there. We see a lot of y'all talking about how it's been tough. So, you know, I'm, we're hoping good things for y'all. And hopefully we, we learn these lessons as we continue on with queer media. That's right. So do we have anything else? <clears throat> I think we kind of hit on everything that's been going on. Um, Ed Buck is still not arrested, um, so he needs to be arrested. We haven't mm-hmm. seen him. Um, we've talked about this briefly, but we if you don't know about Ed Buck, you should know. This is the man, a big donor to the Democratic Party, um, that has had two dead Black queer men in his home. Um, they've been found dead. Um, and it all has something to do with drugs or something like that. There's been evidence to prove this man is trash. So he needs to be arrested or at least be investigated to be arrested. Um, we'll be keeping up on this story because he's still out here in the streets. So, oh, Hate to end on a bad note, but we do have um, something good coming up very soon, um, especially in the next part of the show. So stay tuned for that. You know, and that being said, let's clean up these teacups and get into our king size issue. All right. All right. And we are back. Hope you're enjoying this all new episode of Mecha Sheen. If you're not already, look us up on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, and now Spotify at Mecha Sheen Pod. And now we are getting to our king size issue. And I think this has been, it's going to be one of our most prolific interviews that we've ever done on Mechashine. We have a screenwriter who's worked in the film industry for over 25 years, spent the first 11 years working at New Line Cin- Cinema, where he created Final Destination, our, one of our favorite fil- film franchises. To date, there's been four 
four or five sequels that has grossed over $650 million worldwide. This person has worked on over 15 projects in film and television from USA Network's Return to uh, Cabin by the Lake to Midnight, Texas, uh, remake of George Romero's classic Day of the Dead to Mero. We have the awesome Jeffrey Reddick to Mecca Sheen. Hey, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us today, Jeffrey. It's it's actually an honor for you to be here. Um, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. Um, um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just get right into it. So how did you uh, get interested and subsequent started into the filmmaking business? Uh, you know, growing up, I, I grew up in Eastern Kentucky and um, just me and my friends were really obsessed with uh, horror movies from a really young age. Uh, so I always wanted to uh, be in the film business, but I, I wanted to be an actor. That was my first goal. I wanted to be like the first biracial uh, uh, pinup in Teen Beat Magazine, uh, but that didn't happen. And <laughs> <laughs> Once I hit about 25, I'm like, well, that's definitely not going to happen anymore. So uh, <laughs> I wanted, to, I wanted to, to be an actor. So I went to, uh, um, you know, we actually, I went to a, uh, Jackson High School in Jackson, Kentucky, and uh, I talked my English teacher Maria Bellamy into starting an acting program. For, it just lasted for one year, but we did it. And then I went to college uh, in Berea College, Kentucky, and studied theater. Uh, and then when I was nineteen, I went to New York to study for the summer at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And um, while I was there, I'd I developed a, a pen pal relationship with Bob Shea at New Line Cinema and his assistant, Joy Mann. And um, when I went up there for the summer, they were like, well, do you want to intern for the summer? And I was like, yeah. And then, you know, after, after being there for about a month, I was like, I'm not going back to school. <laughs> I, tell, <laughs> I, I tell everybody to stay in school because edu honestly, from the really education, I think is, is so important in life. But, you know, in this, this case, I, I got an opportunity as a college student to, to you know, to kind of jump into the business, you know, feet first um with experience so I, I i stayed in new york and didn't didn't finish 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 out berea but um it's an amazing college by the way but yeah i started it actually is yeah because <laughs> i yeah, went to eku uh in richmond oh, so. i did not that's awesome yeah and i think victor he did some of his school in in kentucky so yeah we all have our our kentucky roots <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome. Yeah, Berea, not to go off on a tangent, but yeah, they get like like 80% of their students from the Appalachian region. And then um, you work on campus um, in your field of study uh, for 10 hours a week and you don't have to pay tuition. So it gives it gives uh, students who normally wouldn't be able to afford like a an, an top grade education, like a, a really an amazing education. So mm -hmm. um, I love the school. But uh, yeah, so I, you know, I went to, you know, I started working at New Line Cinema. Um, and worked there for 11 years um, in all the various departments and, you know, kind of gave up on my dream of acting. I mean, you know, just keeping it real. Like when I was, you know, when I was 19 in New York, um, my agent uh, told me I was an ethnic Michael J. Fox type and she didn't know what to do with that. So she's like, if you rapped or you played basketball, we could cast you. But I, I just, I don't know, maybe I can get you on the Cosby show. And then that show went off the air. So then I was like, well, 
I'm not going to act, you know, so the diversity train hadn't really taken off when I was, <laughs> when, I was <laughs> when I was studying. So I'm, I'm glad it's changed now. But, um, you know, I decided after a while that I was just going to focus on writing. I was like, well, I'll just write myself into my movies. And then I kept writing about teenagers, you know, being killed by various supernatural means. And then again, I outgrew being a teenager. I'm like, well, I'll just do some cameos and keep writing because I really fell in love with writing. Mm-hmm. So talk to us, uh, where did this love of horror come from? You know, people have asked me that and, and working in the genre with so many, I've, you know, I've met so many of my idols and so many amazing uh, colleagues and everybody's really nice. And everybody's that I meet it, they're always like, wow, I can't believe you write all that really awful stuff. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I think I know, you know, I, me and my friend, uh, friends, uh, Tony and Calvin in, in high school, like, I know that we watched him and part of it was because everybody was like, how can you stand that stuff for me? It was kind of like we were being really rebellious. Um, and so we were watching something we weren't supposed to watch. Uh, I know for Tony and Calvin, they wanted to see the, the naked ladies. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and, um, but, you know, for, it was really, I think being rebellious is what we started us into it. But then we also started reading Fangoria magazine. Um, you know, that showed you how they made the special effects. And so we really fell in love with like the kind of magic behind the movies um, and, and how they did the special effects and how they set up all the, you know, that was our big thing too. We, I had some really awful pictures of us when we were young, like, you know, with fake blood and, you know, just doing all kinds of crazy stuff to ourselves. So it was, a, it was fun for us. Like, we, you know, and I think most people that I know that are into horror, like that was kind of what they, they fell in love with, the magic behind scaring people, mm-hmm. you know, I think people mistake, the, I think people um, make the mistake of thinking that people that like horror films, like, like violence or, or, or get off on violence, which is the complete opposite. Like most of the, like 99%, I don't know anybody that gets off on violence, uh, but um, <laughs> most of the people that I know, like really would not hurt a fly. It's, it's crazy the what people that write, write these films and direct them. But um, you know, again, there's something about, you know, again, the art of, of scaring people and kind of getting under their skin. And I think you get to work out some of your own demons too. I mean, obviously growing up, um, just even, not even where I grew up, but the time that I grew up in, you know, um, you know, racism and homophobia were, were, were an issue. Um, and they still are, um, unfortunately, but you know, it was a really a lot worse back when I was growing up. And, um, you know, I think there's something about horror where it's always kind of the outcast um, who's the final girl usually. And every once in a while you get a final guy, but mostly it was a final girl. And, you know, all the popular pretty kids were like, you know, didn't quite, she didn't quite fit in with them. She was kind of, you know, off to the side and a little bit different than everybody else. And I think, you know, as a person of color, as a gay person, as, as anybody, even just, a, you know, I have many straight white friends who grew up feeling out of place. Um, even the popular ones, you know, you, you, you get older and you're like, wow, you were so popular in high school. And they're like, well, it seemed like that, but I didn't feel popular. Like I really felt like, you know, I just didn't feel like I fit in. And, um, you know, I think that's what attracts people to horror a lot of times too. Is right. that relating to that, you know, that final kind of girl kind of triumphing over mm-hmm. evil. Yeah. I know personally for me, I, there's a certain aversion that I have to horror, not so much as the blood and guts, as more as a psychological, because mm-hmm. I think that that's more, I can see, 
I can see that becoming true rather than, you know, 20 different body parts spewed over the floor. It's, it's something about psychological horror that really gets to me and I. It's something, I, I don't know, something about it. I know Victor, he's big on horror. He, he's more the horror uh, person than me. But right. psychological horror is very, I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't really put a, something on it, but it's, it really gets to me. So being one of uh, the few prominent creators of color and horror, why do you think there's so few in the field? You know, I, I don't know, to be honest. And um, I've talked to some, to some friends of mine and, you know, Dar- Darren Stein's done a lot of work in the, in the genre. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know why that is. Um, you know, I've, I've always, again, found the community itself to be very, welcoming i think i think probably if i'm going to analyze it i think there haven't been a lot of films that have a lot of characters of color in them like usually you know it's 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 almost become a, a running joke and they still do it <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> the one best friend you know the one the one friend is is black and then they get killed early on so i think you know people kind of fall in love with the films where they find something that represents them in the film and you know again there's just been so you know there have been some great you know films over the over the years with characters of color in them but there haven't been a lot and so I think probably representation has kept a lot of people um, from getting into the business side of it but when I you know when I worked in New York it was so amazing because um, you know New Line Cinema was was such a groundbreaking um, studio and you know they did a lot of films they did you know Blade uh, mm-hmm. They did the house party. They did, you know, and people are like, you know, who's going to want to see a black vampire killer? You know, so people forget, you know, well, they don't, they don't because people remind them, but you know, <laughs> before black Panther, there was blade in West right. night. He was actually Marvel's first, you know, like superhero. And um, so we did a lot of like just market research and in all the major cities um, where we did research, like, you know, almost half the audience for all the horror films were, you know, African-American and Latinos. So, um, you know, we had the research there um, and people knew it. And, you know, Newland was very good about trying to tap into different markets. Um, but, you know, I think that the industry as a whole until recently hasn't realized that, you know, it's like it's, it's taken Black Panther, you know, to be the top grossing Marvel movie, I think, of all time. And if I'm wrong on that, somebody will correct me. Um, <laughs> but it, it takes, a, you know, a movie doing that well for people to go, hmm, perhaps we could do one more superhero movie with a black character. You know, it's like, it, it, you know, it's, it's just always an uphill battle. Yeah. So I think representation is probably the reason a lot of people don't, haven't gotten into the genre. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot more female um, genre directors as well. Um, right. And they've always been fans, but, you know, you, they've always, you know, been ignored as well by a lot of the, you know, just, just the, it's just the way we talk about films and, you know, even myself, I, you know, growing up, you know, everybody that I saw in Pangoria, you know, was, was white and, um, you know, straight and male. And so you, except for actresses, you know, so it's, it's, you know, again, you have to kind of get, start getting more representation. Um, you know, I think before people start realizing, oh, I could do that, you know, and it's okay for me to do that. And right. I think communities have to, you know, communities also have to support arts. And I think that that's, you know, if you look at what they start cutting in schools most of the time, 
um, it's art, you know, when they cut programs. And so I think, you know, we have to foster that love of art in, in every community to get more people to kind of really dive into it and like open themselves up to being artists. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's I'm a writer. I spend a lot of time by myself. So when you start talking to me, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, no. I got it. <laughs> we like the detailed answers. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into final destination. How did you create that story? Uh, you know, the original idea came to me. I was, I read an article. There was a woman who was on, on, a, on, um, on a vacation and her mother called her but the night before she was supposed to come home and said don't take the flight you're on tomorrow i have a bad feeling about it and i read that article and it just i was on a plane actually uh going home to going home to kentucky when i i read that <laughs> like that's interesting and creepy um and then I, I think it was probably a year or so later i was i was trying to get a tv agent and um they used to have you write scripts for something that was on television at the time to get an agent so I was a big fan of the X-Files show. So I used that idea as an X-Files episode script to get an agent. Uh, but before, you know, we were actually going to try to get it to the show. But one of my friends, uh, Mark Kaufman at New Line, was like, you know, this is a really good idea. You should write this as a feature. So I, you know, wrote an out, a treatment for like a feature version of the film. And um, yeah, hooked up with some uh, great producers, uh, Craig Perry and Warren Zide um through my friend Chris Bender and um we developed the treatment you know six ways to Sunday literally we just kept redeveloping it because New Line was really having a hard time everybody was having a hard time getting their head around how death could be a killer um so I think me and me and the producers were the only ones that kind of got it at that point at you know that time they're like how can death be a killer you can't mm -hmm. see it how yeah you can't fight it and I'm like that's the point um so so yeah that that's the uh long technical version you know we we wrote about eight different versions 10 different versions of the treatment um and then finally new line you know picked it up after we threatened to take it to another studio and, <laughs> uh, and then yeah i wrote the i wrote the first draft of the script and then we brought james wong and Glenn morgan on who actually worked on the x files so that it was you know very kind of serendipitous how it all the final final film came together Awesome. When you were explaining how the, the creative uh, side of it, that reminded me of a story about these people having a premonition of a flight going down. I think it was flight 191 that crashed uh, in Chicago. I think it was maybe in the 70s and how these people were like, oh, something's wrong with the, a plane is going to go down, a plane is going to go down. And all of a sudden a plane did go down. I think everybody on board died and a couple people died on, on the ground. So it almost seems like part of the story was based on a true story. You know what? I, I didn't hear about that actually. Um, but I know there was a plane that crashed after I sold the script that's, that was in New York that was going to France. And some people thought that that's where I got the idea, but I really just, it, it, that article's really what just put the idea in my head about, you know, kind of cheating death. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting because there, I have over the, you know, you obviously find out years later, like, um, you know, I, I realized I hadn't, I'd never seen it, but there was a Twilight episode, Twilight Zone episode that was something similar um, as well. So I know that people have, people have also said, oh, did he get that? Was that, he inspired by that? And I wasn't inspired by that, but it's, it's interesting with the creative process is 
you know, you'll get an idea, but you don't necessarily know how it's going to formulate until pieces kind of come into place. Like I didn't know what the movie was going to be until I thought, oh, I could use this as like a setup for an X-Files episode. Um, and then I, you know, had a lot of other story to work with, with the X-Files characters that we all know. So I didn't have to do a whole movie around it. It was just more using that concept. And then when my friend said, this will make a good feature, then I had to work on how to flesh it out as a concept. And originally it was going to be all adults and then Scream came out and, you know, all of a sudden everybody wanted everybody to be teenagers. Uh-huh. And so I, then they were, then I made them school students after that. And, you know, so it's interesting the process, how, you know, you will pull different things from your, from your life and, and use them. But uh, yeah, sometimes there's, you know, I, I had a friend of mine, actually, I just on this topic, I had a friend of mine that was at a party with his wife and they were drunk and I'd known him for a long time. And she's finally like, just tell him already. I'm like, tell me what? And it turns out that he, he had written a script that was almost a comedy version of this concept and had submitted it to New Line like right after they bought mine. So they're like, oh, we just bought like a horror version of this. And I was just thinking what, you know, it's just funny that some, you know, it's not funny because there's so many people out there that ideas are going to kind of come up that are similar but right you know the, the business side of me thought wow if he'd have sent this over like six months earlier then he would have thought i stole the idea from him you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. but it came in afterwards so you know but he was always embarrassed to tell me that story for some reason um, <laughs> i'd kind of like to see the comedy version of that sometimes there, there's laughs in our version um you know laughs laughs in final destination but it would be funny to see a straight up comedy version of that yeah, I remember in the first scene where the two guys were arguing and then the girl gets hit by the bus. That was not necessarily funny, but it was funny how it just came out of nowhere and that Crosstown bus just like <laughs> smacked her. <laughs> uh, so are you surprised at the level of fandom that uh, the Final Destination series has maintained over the years? You know, you're you're always, um, you never you you always hope a movie does well but i've just been in the business for so long that i never assume anything i i thought final destination would would find an audience because i thought that you know just the concept was very would would resonate with people but i was also working at the studio and they were very nervous about the movie um so they didn't spend a ton of marketing money on it um at the beginning and then it opened it i think it opened at like number three at the box office but then it started actually doing better every week and then it climbed to number one and then it stayed in the top 10 for a, a light. It was, it was amazing to work at the studio and see it happen, but it really was a word of mouth kind of hit. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm surprised the long, uh, yeah, that was the long answer. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised at how well it's done, but on the other hand, like, you know, I've always believed in the, the, the concept and the story and I believed it would resonate with people and it's a, just a fun movie. I mean, that's, you know, I like to write movies that are entertaining, but get you thinking at the same time, but are, I still mostly entertaining on the horror front. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm, I, I'm actually feel very blessed that, that people have responded to it like they have. It's just as a horror fan, I always say like, just as a fan myself, you know, just having created one film that's, that people know about, you know, and that's kind of made an impact culturally is like, you know, that's just, if you'd have told 14-year-old Jeffrey that that would happen someday, well, probably Jeffrey would have, 14-year-old Jeffrey would have been like, yeah, and I'm going to be the star of it. <laughs> I would have thought I'd be Tony Todd, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, um, it's been, a, it's a, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, 
I'm feel very blessed that it's found the audience that it's found. And, um, you know, and we have a, you know, we have a new one that, um, these great writers, uh, Dunstan and Patrick, um, and they'll, um, are doing right now. So there will be a part six coming out, um, hopefully in 2020, which will be the 20th anniversary of final destination, mm-hmm. which makes me feel freaking old <laughs> right? <laughs> when I say that, but, um, I'm very happy. <laughs> So one of the most, one scene that is arguably submitted in movie cinema horror is the opening death scene in Final Destination 2. With, I know. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> and this has like scarred a whole generation of driving on the highway with a, a truck full of logs. So how did you come up with that scene? And were you on set when it was initially shot? Um, I, how I, this is, this, I love this story because, because again, Kentucky, my Kentucky roots are, they, you know, I saw the first film, you know, I came up with that, you know, I saw that idea about the, or, you know, the premonition when I was going to Kentucky and, you know, we were working on the second one and, um, originally we had the whole story kind of worked out except I had a hotel fire for the opening and Craig Perry, who's been like the godfather of the series, uh, since the first one was just like, you know, that's just not, that's not visual. I don't know. And he kept kind of you know, we got to come up with something better. And I was, you know, went home to visit my family in Kentucky and uh, was on the freeway and I got behind a log truck and I'm like, uh, and I pulled over to the next lane because I'm like, hate those fucking log trucks. Uh, Pardon my French. And then I pulled off the road and then I pulled off the road and then I called Craig and I'm like, what about a log truck on the freeway? And he's like, that's what I'm talking about. And that's, you know, so, um, you know, again, you know, Kentucky, 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 Um, so many ideas. And, um, and actually that's, I have to say that, um, that's probably my favorite scene of the franchise. Um, I, I, you know, it is, and it's just because also the way that it was shot and, you know, David Ellis did such a wonderful job of, um, of, of, you know, shooting it and, and Eric Brest and J. Mackey Gruber did the script screenplay for that when I wrote the story. Um, but they, they fleshed it out and did the screenplay for it. But yeah, the, just the whole way everything was set up. Um, I love that scene. Um, yeah, yeah that's that, <laughs> one of my favorite twos, but I can't watch it because it seems like it's it's one of the most realist scenes, you know, because you know any I saw a video of a, a tractor trailer doing I don't know some kind of tricks on the highway, and then it just it yeah that that scene very much scarred me as a child, uh, and. I'm grateful for it, maybe. I was gonna say, you know, <laughs> tell me that, like, uh, you you traumatized me, and I'm like, thanks. thanks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I think Final Destination Two for me was my favorite one in the series, because um, I. Because I, I I like uh, was it T.C. Carson <laughs> was in it, so I like T.C. Carson, and it just felt more real. Yeah, no, I, um, that's, that's my favorite, actually, just because I think all the, I think creatively, the, the, you know, I, story-wise, I got to kind of tell a story that I wanted to tell, you know, where you, you know, did all the best things I think a franchise can do, which is, you know, expand the mythology from the first movie, and not just redo the first movie, but then bring back some people from the first movie, and I don't know, and then, you know, we set up these kids like they're going to be the leads, and then kill them all off. Um, in the beginning so it just did all the it just did all these fun things that I wanted to do in a sequel and you know I think the script had such a sense of humor 
about it like that that really kind of i don't know that's it's my favorite one as well great so like you said earlier uh final destination six is coming out in 2020 now is it going to be a a reboot or is it going to be a continuation on in the series um you know you have to wait and see what's gonna it's gonna be (laughs) (laughs) oh okay too much away right now. <laughs> okay, all we know is it's, it's coming out 2020. Yes, and 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 also the the, the writers on it, um, you know, they're they're friends of mine, and they're you know they're very good at um, working. You know, they, you know they worked you know on the Saw films, and they've done other other work as well, where they're they're good at like kind of honoring is not the right word, but kind of honoring yeah, it is the right word honoring kind of the original films but bringing like fresh, you know, fresh perspective to it. So mm-hmm. it's in good hands. It's in really good hands. Okay. Do you have any role as far as uh, the creative side of it? No, I, you know, I just, I, I talk to Craig Perry a lot. So I kind of stay in the loop about what's going on creatively. And, you know, we'll, he'll definitely talk to me, you know, about, Hey, what do you think about this idea or that, that idea? So he kind of keeps me, keeps me in the loop on stuff, but, um, you know, at this point, it's like I kind of just sit back and kind of watch and see what they what they do with my baby. <laughs> <laughs> and so far, they've raised it right. So I'm excited. That's good. So with all of your projects that you've been a part of, uh, what are some of your favorite horror movies that you draw influence from? Um, you know, my favorite movie is hands down the original Nightmare on Elm Street, um, you know, Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. just it was a I think it was a masterpiece of filmmaking um you know it it kind of did the same thing I did with Final Destination 2 where you know we we think we're following our lead character and you know and then she, she gets killed off and it you know you know Nancy was like the the best like final girl in my opinion that I'd seen to that point just as far as being like a character who you know she went after Freddie. Like a lot of, you know, a lot of Final Girls in horror films, as strong as they were, they were kind of cornered and then they fought back. And Nancy was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to rig booby trap my house. I'm going to go in my dream. I'm going to drag that son of a bitch out. I won't <laughs> kill <laughs> So, um, and then of course, Robert England was just amazing. And it, it's just an amazing movie. So that movie really influenced me a lot. But, um, you know, I mean, I've, lo- I've watched so many, it's so funny. I'll go to, some channels where it's like all horror films and I'm like I've seen every one of these films um there's so many that I love I mean from you know Psycho to Night of the Living Dead to Suspiria um you know Halloween you know this the ones that everybody says Halloween and Friday the 13th and um Texas Chainsaw Massacre and and Candyman and you know it was a major you know film for me and um yeah, I, I, I love everything from slasher films to like fantasy horror. Um, you know, there's, there's just so many. Like there's, yeah, there's, there's just so many films. I think, <laughs> I think the influence they have on me is I try to find stories, again, that will kind of, you know, because it, you're never going to come up with an original concept. Right. Um, everything's always been done somehow, but it's, it's kind of your spin on it. So for me, it's trying to, find a, a story that I think is going to resonate with the a wide number of people, you know? Right, right. 
Well, you mentioned Candyman and you have a, a new film uh, called The Final Wish with some horror favorites of ours, uh, Lin Shay and Tony Ty coming out soon. Uh, what can you tell us about the film and the process of development of the story? Um, the film actually is playing on January 24th. It's coming um, Thursday as a nationwide Fathom event screening. So they're, they're having actually, it's really awesome. They're having a premiere screening across the nation. Um, and there's going to be like a little special intro from Lin Shay at the beginning of the film. And then after the credits, there's going to be a Q&A that we did at Scream. So um, yeah, if you go either to my Twitter, uh, which is Jeffrey A. Reddick or Fathom Events and look for The Final Wish. It's this Thursday and see you can see if it's playing in the theater near you. But um, yeah, we've got, you know, Tony Todd back from Final Destination, which is amazing. I, I love his work and I love him as a person. And Lynn Shea and Michael Welch, who I worked with on Day of the Dead. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's like a little homecoming. And I've been, you know, friends with Lynn forever and have been wanting to work with her. But um, you know, it's it's really kind of a gothic fairy tale. It's about a, a attorney who who comes home to take care of his mother, who's who's fallen you know into depression after her husband's passed, and you know he kind of he kind of bolted when he when he was young. He kind of left his hometown and the people he loved behind, so he has to come back and deal with all of that. And um, he finds kind of an antique that unleashes this kind of evil force that starts granting his wishes, and the wishes start coming true. But you know, of course, it's a scary movies so they can't come true in a good way mm-hmm. um, so it's a it's a really fun film um really grounded in in characters i uh co-wrote the screenplay with uh two writers uh, william halfen and jonathan doyle and they're great great writers and um you know how the film came about is uh you know i had the script written for a while and there were a couple we were a couple places that wanted to do it but then wish upon came out and they're like oh we can't do two movies about people's wishes coming true I'm like, well, that one's about a Chinese box and a bunch of high schoolers, and this one's not. And they're like, we don't care. It's too close. So <laughs> um, there is a director, um, this director, Timothy Woodard Jr., who'd been, you know, kind of keeping touch with me to see if I had any films available. Um, and I didn't at the time. And, you know, but I, and I wasn't really familiar with his work, too, So because I have people hitting me up a lot. But um, Timothy, um, to his, his great credit, is just is very persistent. And he sent me over, like, a list of you know, some clips of films that he did. And I looked at them, I was like, wow, this guy's actually got talent. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll meet you. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and uh, so no, we, me and my producer, Tommy Hudson, met him for lunch and like literally five minutes of talking to him. I'm like, oh God, I can't turn this guy down because he's got such a passion and vision for the film. Like he, you know, it was, he already had the movie in his head by the time we met him to talk to him about it. So um he, you know, we met him in March and we were shooting in May, I think. It was like crazy. Like oh, wow. Yeah, that doesn't usually happen. So just people know that and that rarely happens, um, except with Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, he got this amazing cast together and, you know, we were we were done. We premiered at Screen Fest um, in October. So it's just been a really fun and fast ride. Um, and it's a really fun movie. It's a really entertaining you know, creepy, dramatic, you know, movie. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. I know Tony Todd is one of the few people, aside from my mother, that still gives me, like, chills. Like, I still can't watch Candyman to this day. I've watched it one time, and that was enough. And that was, like, maybe 15 years ago. 
And I was like, I can't, I can't do it again because that man scares the dog shit out of me. <laughs> he is the and the funny thing is, he's the nicest guy, and he's he's he studied theater, so he he takes his craft very very seriously, which is great to watch. I saw a one man show um, with him where he played the uh, the first African American to win the um, uh, world. Oh my god, I'm so gay. I don't know. It's the boxing the boxing uh, heavyweight belt. champion thank you, thank you. <laughs> i knew that um, but it was a one-man like a 90-minute one-man show and he he's just he's an amazing actor and he's so kind and gentle and thoughtful when you meet him in person um and so humble too considering he's been in so many iconic you know films um, right i mean you know he was in the night of the living dead remake he's been in so much it's it's he's got such a body of work that um but he's he he really takes his work seriously, and it's so refreshing um, to see that. And and so I mean, I I I still remember seeing Candyman in college and just being blown away by that whole film. And and mm-hmm. so to get to work with him on Final Destination was amazing enough. And then to get to work with him again, I'm like, uh <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, yeah. and so let's talk about uh, the lack of I guess queer characters in horror films. Is that, do you think that that's from a, uh, where do you think that's coming from? Um, I, I think it's changing. The, the funniest thing is I have met, there are so many, there are so many, you know, gay horror creators that, you know, like, you know, Clive Barker and I'm going to, I'm not going to try to name everybody because then I'll end up forgetting people and it'll be annoying, but. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know, Kevin Williamson did Scream and then, you know, you know, Chris Landon, you know, did uh, Disturbia and Happy Death Day and, 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 you know, there's just, there's, there, there are a lot, Don Mancini, oh gosh, I should have, Chucky, the Chucky movies, like, you know, there, there are so many filmmakers out there and the thing is like, we try to often write gay characters into our stuff and they often get de-gayed, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, I think times have changed now, but again, we're, that evolution has happened, I think, really recently. Um, I think in the past, you know, obviously, you know, people up until probably 10 or 15 years ago, it was completely fine just to have like the stereotypical, like crazy gay character who would either show up and and be kind of the, you know, brunt of a joke, or would just show up to get you know, to be like, try to seduce some straight guy so that the straight guy could beat him up. I mean, that was just the reality of how movies were, were written. Um, you know, so there haven't been, you know, it, it, there haven't been a lot of like regular, you know, it's like, it's so hard. It's like, I remember when I saw uh, Bride of Chucky, but Don Mancini wrote that and there was a gay character in that movie. And it's like, you know, it's a horror movie. So yes, the character, spoiler alert, dies, but he doesn't die first and he's not the butt of a joke. And you know, his being, his dying has nothing to do with, it's not connected to him being gay. Like, I remember there was a movie, The Fan, with Lauren Bacall and Andrew Stevens, and he was like this fan that was obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a gay, I think it was a man, there was somebody gay that he had to go through to get to her. Um, and he kind of pretends he's going to seduce a guy, and then they, you know, cuts his throat. And you, you just you used to see a lot of that in films, where it's like, the gay characters are were just kind of, you know, written as kind of sad stereotypes. and. Um, 
you know, that's because we need, you know, you need more filmmakers, you know, who, who are gay, writing gay stuff that doesn't get taken out. My friend Paul Etheridge did uh, Hellbent, which was actually the first, um, you know, I'm pretty sure it was the first gay slasher film that was like, yeah, I'm going to still say that. And then somebody's going to be like, wait, <laughs> there was one that came out before that. Um, but you know, I remember when that film came out, it was kind of a big deal because it was like, oh my God, a gay filmmaker made a gay film. But I know, you know, creatively, it's like, you know, that pigeonholed him, you know, and at a right. time when, you know, again, we've had such a, thankfully we've had such a seismic shift, um, you know, where people at least start seeing us as people <laughs> um, and and not, you know, stereotypes or, or, or scary things. Um, and it's interesting because, again, I live in Los Angeles now where, you know, they always say, oh, well, you live in a bubble. And we, we do in a way, but, you know, I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, there were people, there was a rash of uh, gay bashings here in like West Hollywood, which is like the gay area of Los Angeles. There, mm-hmm. were, there, there were people that were coming in and like hitting people and beating them up with hammers and stuff. So, you know, this stuff doesn't just, you know, this stuff still happens and happens everywhere. So we still have a long way to go. but. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think we'll start seeing a lot more gay characters. We certainly do on television now. It's ama- it's it's amazing, but I, I'm joking. Like you can't throw a stick at a show and not hit a gay character, which is great. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it really is going to be about, you know, representation and, um, you know, more gay filmmakers, you know, making content and then it making money and then people saying, oh, we can do this. Yeah, I, as far as those, uh, I remember those gay, gay bashings in LA and everybody's like, oh, well, you know, California's supposed to be yada, 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 this and that. And I'm like, well, I mean, it, shit could happen anywhere. I mean, granted, shit happens here in Kentucky, but, you know, yeah. if that nobody or no state is immune to any homophobia and gay bashing. No, so. no. And, um, and, yeah, and that's why I think it's important to, you know, you know, cause I just deal with this a lot and, you know, just being a little bit more in the public eye, but, you know, dealing with, with friends and family who are like, you know, ah, people aren't homophobic anymore, you know, or people aren't racist anymore. You guys are just, you know, blaming everything on racism or blaming everything on homophobia. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, <laughs> it's like, I know some of it, I know some of it got beat up and I know some of it committed suicide and, you know, it's like I, you know, it's frustrating that people, you know, don't realize that we're still not, you know, it takes generations to breed out, you know, hatred. And I, and I do use the word hatred. It's like, you know, there's a difference between, you know, you cannot, you can not like somebody or you may not agree with somebody, but if you try to like start, you know, dictating rules on how they can live their lives and, and, not wanting them to have like equal protection under the law from discrimination, you know, that's to me, that's hate, you know, right. Um, Pure and simple. So with this new batch of new horror, uh, I guess a new horror genre, i.e. get out and soon us, where do you foresee the horror genre going? Well, first of all, I think Jordan feels amazing. So I, can't yeah he's just amazing um i think the genre is gonna 
definitely people are focusing on more socially conscious uh, kind of horror. Um, I think where that's going to land with diversity is, um, I mean, I know that I'm working on a project right now that's going to, it's my first slasher film actually, and our cast is going to be like 98% African-American and Latino. Um, oh, awesome. and yeah, I'm really, I'm so excited about it. It's, it's um, yeah, it's called Superstition. It's, it's, I'm so excited about it. Um, and, you know, the way I tell people about it, like, like, like look, this is, it's a fun slasher movie, but instead of focusing on all the pretty white kids and their one black friend, we're focusing on all the pretty brown people and their one, two white friends. <laughs> so, you know, it's, sometimes I think it's really just about representation. You don't have to, sometimes the representation itself is the message. You don't have to be like, hey, we're making a black slasher movie. Um, right. It's, and you can do that. I think sometimes you, you know, but, but that was what was brilliant about Get Out is it wasn't, it wasn't about white people. It wasn't about racist white people um, who didn't like black people. It's just that they didn't view the black people as human. Like they thought of them as these things they admired, but that they could use and discard. So obviously that's not treating somebody as a human or as an equal. So it's a different kind of, you know, it's a different way of looking at racism without talking about racism, you know? Right. And it just occurred to me that Get Out has, um, it has inklings of Soylent Green as far as how they were harvesting these Black people and Get Out and then, you know, basically harvesting them. And then as far as Soylent Green, using people as basically food. So I can see uh, parallels as far as that's concerned, um, crossing genres. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think that makes, you know, again, that that's, I think there's a different, there's so many different ways. I'm always like, you know, you know, I'm more of a, you know, Martin Luther King kind of person, but I definitely know that the civil rights movement would not have happened as it happened if it wasn't for Malcolm X as well. So sometimes I think, you know, there's a place for, for like in your face activism, not violence, um, but in your face activism. And there's also sometimes where you have to try to reach people, you know, by talking to them. I'm, I'm just going to bring this up because it just happened the other day, but, you know, I know people are so, you know, Oliver media are talking about the group of kids who were, you know, yelling at the native American man at the March for life. Um, in walk. Kentucky. And they're from, yeah, they're from a, a Catholic school in Kentucky. And, um, you know, I tweeted about it, not anything mean, but I'm like, you have to realize like these kids aren't, they weren't born thinking this way. Like they were taught this behavior and I've seen people change. You know, I, I've seen people who were extremely racist in high school, you know, grow up and marry somebody of a different race. Um, and I've seen homophobic people come out of the closet and I've seen homophobic people become not homophobic. Um, so I'm like, you know, you know, we can't just demonize these kids and start yelling because, you know, people are sending the school death threats and it's like, that's not going to change anybody's mind. You know, like they're still kids. Like you can talk to them and they can see the error of their ways and change, but it's easy when you see something that ugly, especially the smirk, the smirk in that picture is what's getting everybody. I think, cause of course, when you see somebody smirking, you want to smack them. Oh, right. And I think that smirk is what's getting on people's nerves, but you know, and more than that, but it's just like, you know, that's my long-winded answer of saying, sometimes I think you have to, 
you know, going back at somebody like yelling and fighting isn't always the way you're going to get your message through to somebody. And um, so I think with, with dealing with race in films, I think, you know, like something like Get Out was very subtle in how it dealt with racism. Um, whereas if it had been a film about, you know, well, we hate all you black people. Right. Um, so we're just going to use your bodies. Um, it would have been, a, it wouldn't have had the impact that it did. Yeah, I agree. I think that subtle racism is more unnerving than, you know, in your face. Because you're almost thinking like, well, is it? And then you're doing a, a whole head trip on yourself. Um, I've only watched Get Out one time and that was enough because it feels like a lot of those, I can see a lot of those qualities in people that I actually know and interact with on a daily basis. And so I'm some days I'm like, I'm panicking. I'm like, oh, that, is that a Get Out reference? Are they going to uh, try to harvest me? You know, doing yeah, a crazy ass shit. <laughs> no, it's, um, you know, it's interesting because that's, that's what movies, you know, and that's what's great about horror as well. Like horror can make you think, um, you know, in ways like that because, um, yeah, it, it can make you think about race and it can make, you know, people, it can make, you know, people who have, kind of latent racism or latent prejudice i should say it's always you know anyway it's it's wording but you know they have subtle prejudices like that they can deal with i mean i you know for a long time because of where i grew up um i was in my you know 20s and if i if i passed a group of like boys on the street like i would cross the street because i was used to being in school like a lot of times you know people would spit on me or throw rocks at me or yell at me and call me you know so there was this knee-jerk thing that I didn't even realize I was doing a lot of times where I would just cross the street. So I understand if you're brought up to think a certain way, I understand, or if you've had things happen to you, I understand where that feeling can come from. But then I have to make the conscious decision, obviously, to be like, well, I know all white boys aren't going to like beat me up. And you know what I'm saying? Like, right. you know, I have to make the decision to, to, to not let that in inform my whole life and I think that that's that's kind of what racism is is people either take preconceived ideas that they've had or if they have a bad experience with one person then they start judging like the whole group of people on that one experience so um and we can all fall victim to it you know it's it's something that I think we all have to kind of work on that's true very true so as we wrap up this interview I have one final question for you. And these is this is for all the aspiring writers, whether it be in movies, TV, uh, what have you. What advice would you give to them? Um, I would tell them to write every day, first of all. Um, if they want to write uh, in film or TV, I think they, you know, getting scripts online is probably the one of the best things that you can do, um, uh, pick your genre. I know that when you're creative, you want, you want to kind of show people that you can do everything, but because the movie business is a business people, there's so many people like my old boss, Bob Friedman at Newland used to talk about cutting through the clutter. And there's so many people that are always coming to Hollywood or always, you know, well, I'm going to try this out for two years. And if it doesn't work out, then I'm going to quit. You have to find a way to persevere. Um, and really, you know, take the time. Cause I, I read growing up, somebody said it takes 10 years of working. And if you're an artist, it takes 10 years of working in your field before you can start making a living at it. And that's not even getting like 
rich. That's like making like a living, like a regular living. Mm-hmm. And um, when I went to New York um, and got my internship and stuff at 19, I was like, screw that 10 year thing. Um, but it was literally 10 years after I graduated high school that I sold Final Destination. So, um, you know, you have to be, I think that rule is because you have to be willing to put that much work into it. Um, and that's why they, t- they say if, if like being a writer or being a actor or director or painter, if that's not something that you feel like you have to do, that like there's no other option, like then you probably shouldn't do it because it, you really have to dedicate your life and you have to spend many, you know, years like eating macaroni and cheese and living at the YMCA because your friend wrote a letter saying you were a student when you weren't. Not that that's what happened to me, but that's what happened to me. Um, but, you know, you have to go through many, many years of that, of, of struggling and rejection. Um, but if, back to advice on their genre stuff, like if, if you love comedies, then, you know, watch the comedies that you like, find the scripts for them and see, you know, you know, just really immerse yourself in that style. Um, because for me, it's, it's, they want to brand you as, as something. Um, so it's easy to be the horror writer, you know, and then you can branch out after that. But, you know, if you have like 20 different scripts and 20 different genres, like agents and managers won't know what to do with you. Um, and then I guess also my other big piece of advice, um, aside from picking your genre and reading, reading scripts and writing is to, um, oh man, well, oh, yeah, if you can make your own content, um, there's so many outlets now where you, I mean, you can film a movie on an iPhone, um, you know, and, and mm-hmm. get a, a, a release. So the technology that, that is available today that wasn't available when I was growing up is staggering. Um, and so just start making your own content, make your own YouTube videos, make, you know, just, yeah, just make your own content and you'll get better and better because you, uh, you know, this, the, the thing that, that I encounter the most in young people that hurts them is they just have written their first script and they think they're amazing and they don't think they can grow anymore. And if you try to give them advice, they're like, you know, they just kind of argue with you. And it's like, you know, the artists that I know that are really successful, they always are like nervous and insecure and still thinking that they're not, you know, because it gives you something to strive for. If you think that, if you think you've, you're the best that you can be when you're 15, then you know what I'm saying? Like, we're right. not going to grow. Um, so just, yeah, be, you just have to persevere. You just have to believe in yourself. And when you don't know things, learn them. Like you have to be open to constructive criticism, um, you know, and just, yeah, you know, just do it. You just got to do it and keep, keep at it, you know, just never give up. And that's sound advice. If you're in writing or not in, in any damn genre of a, uh, or industry. Yeah. Yeah. It really, yeah. You just, there's, because there's so many people out there that are, you know, especially like you, you just see it even on the internet, like, you know, people are so much quicker to write if they don't like something like, like you do, if you post like a, a, you know, we post a trailer for, you know, Final Destination 5 and, you know, the people that don't like the trailer are going to spend, take the time to go, this thing sucks. Mm-hmm. The people that like it usually just, they're like, oh, that's cool. And they don't say anything. So you'll find that that's kind of like true in like the internet age, but it's also true in life. Like the people, there's a lot of people that'll try to pull you down or won't understand, especially if, you, if you're wanting to work, you know, as an artist, like that's like what people are like, who wants to, you know, find a real job. Right. <laughs> and another piece of advice, and this is just a little side bit of personal advice that I, that I give people too. And this, 
I think goes for life and I don't mean to sound preachy at all, but you know, um, the thing, another thing that I've seen take so many people down and just in this industry, but I just see it's like an epidemic is, you know, drug abuse and alcoholism. Um, you know, I, I got sober, um, God, it's been like 12, 13 years now. Um, so, you know, I think if you find yourself in an, in a place where you feel like, you know, you're drinking or, or you're, you're doing drugs and you feel like your, your life is kind of spiraling out. It's just like, get help. You know, mm-hmm. um, I've seen, you know, I've seen little rock stars who are like sober and they're like, we never thought like, how can you be a rock star and be sober? Because that whole lifestyle is about drinking and partying. And so, you know, if rock stars can get sober, you know, if it, you know, uh, that's the most extreme example, but you know, that's just like, I just know a lot of people that struggle with this, this, this issue. And it's something that I don't think a, a lot of people talk about, but you know, I think the only, well, I'm actually, I, I was gonna say the only mistake I think I made in life was picking up that first drink, but I'm glad I did because I was pretty snotty um, and ignorant about addiction before then I was always like, Oh, well, I don't have to have a drink to have fun. Um, so I kind of looked down on people who drank and then, I'm cause so I'm kind of glad I did go through that so that I have more compassion for people who are struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, you know, stopping drinking was like the smartest and the best and probably the strongest decision I ever made in my life. And, um, so I do I'll always say like, if you, if that's an issue that you're struggling with, like, please, you know, know that there's help out there and you know, you can get sober. That's very true. And especially in the gay community where everything is based, it seems like everything is based off, based around either alcohol or drug use. I mean, I've seen so many people just here, uh, not, you know, regular uh, Joes struggle with alcoholism, drug abuse, then it spirals into, you know, harder drug abuse, and then it spirals into suicide. So yeah, it's, and it's the thing with that. Yeah. And the thing with that too is, is, you know, people have to realize like, Hey, we're still brought up in a society where no matter how polite people are being, we're still told that being gay is a choice and we love you, but you're going to burn in hell when you die. So we still have that gentle undercurrent of, we love you, but you're still going to burn in. So we're still brought up in a society that teaches us that on a broader scale. Um, so coming out is such a hard thing to do. And unfortunately, there are, thank God, more people have come out since I was growing up because my role models growing up were people that came out because they were dying of AIDS. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the only way I knew they were, they were gay. It's like, oh, Rock Hudson is dying of AIDS. I'm like, oh, he was gay. So now at least kids have role models that they can look up to um, and they can reach out to, you know, people, you know, on, you know find like friendships and kinships online um, and have more resources than we do. But like, especially when I was growing up, like the only place you could go was like a gay bar if you wanted to go somewhere and you were still like afraid that somebody was going to beat you up. But that was really the only place you could go to meet people was a bar. So, you know, we're, we're dealing like, you know, you know, we see younger kids coming out stronger and more confident, thank God, than they, you know, were in the past because of just what society kind of puts on us. Um, So a lot of people feel like they're only, way to get courage is to to have a few drinks in them to to even go into a gay bar um so then that becomes tied to like 
trying to like escape the pain of all this stuff that you're dealing with. It's yeah, it's uh, it's it's complicated, you know, with um, you know, with it with with our community because we're still, you know, again we have so many good role models now um, and people that are out and proud and you know the stigma is is drowning out a little bit, but for every time it dries drowns out somewhat, you get somebody like you know our vice president believes in gay conversion therapy. Yay. Mm. <laughs> um, so, but we'll just ignore that part and pretend he's an amazing person and loves right. us. Um, so, so yeah, anyway, got off, got off tangent there for a second, but um, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to with the, with the gay community. Cause I, I know, you know, a, a lot of, you know, straight people are like, Oh, well, that's, you know, the, that's all gay people want to do is go out and party. And so it's like, it's not even really about partying. It's a lot of it's about, again, bars are the only place that gay people feel safe and you know again when you're kind of raised to believe that there's something inherently wrong with you like you're going to have some issues and mm -hmm. usually alcohol is what you know people drink to forget their troubles or to, to numb their pain or to conquer their fear like but um plus damn it's pushed everywhere once you get sober like you're like yeah you, you see it party, it's like this party sponsored by by sky vodka I'm like, can I get a Coke? And they're like, that's $12. I'm like, $12 for just a Coke? Yep, the party's sponsored by Sky Vodka. You have to drink vodka. Um, so you don't realize how much it's pushed on you until you quit drinking. It's like, damn, it's everywhere. Right. And truth be told, a lot of us gay people, we don't want to go to bars. We just want to stay home and watch Netflix and Grace watch and Franklin. Yeah, I know, watch our, watch our shows. And um, it's like, yeah. So that the internet's been good in that that regard at least where people can kind of connect and you don't have to go to bars but then on the flip side of that it's like we've also become such a grinder society now where people are you know don't make a connection like they used to so it's you know it's kind of give and take as you're evolving with society and as technology evolves and things like that so right uh, the grinder that's oh that is a weird app because i was before that all happened and now to see it it's just <sighs> It's very odd. <laughs> well, it was weird because when I was growing up, like when I was growing up, you, you, they had phone numbers you could call to talk to gay people. And then they had, when AOL started off, they had chat rooms that you could go in and chat with people mm -hmm. around the world, but you didn't know who the hell you were chatting with. Um, it's the same thing on Grindr now, but it, it's just funny to watch how technology has evolved so quickly. But now people don't leave their houses. Like I know, you know i know people that just stay at home all day and they're just on you know they're on an app all day and it's like well you gotta go out in the world and meet people right uh, so yeah, i remember that's an interesting interesting world it is i remember gay.com and you know yep. after that manhunt and oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, i don't know what you're talking about yeah those these apps are getting they're getting so crazy i know it's really funny but um it's great, yeah. Maybe I'll do a grinder horror movie at some point. If that's still if that's still around, I'll find another app. I'll find another app to do a horror movie around. I mean, there's there's so many to choose from. Yeah, so, and so many scary stories to tell. Exactly. <laughs> so Jeffrey, thank you so much for being on our show. Uh, can you let everybody know where they can find you on this crazy thing called the internet? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Jeffrey. J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, um, A like Apple, Reddick, and that's my handle at uh, on Twitter and Facebook, uh, not Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, and then uh, Jeffrey Reddick on Facebook. 
Um, and yeah, you know, the final wish I'm excited is coming out this Thursday nationwide. So um, go online and get your ticket for that. It's, it's like a one day like premiere fathom event. And um, I'm going to be uh, directing a movie Good Samaritan this summer that I'm really excited about. So definitely start stalking me and hearing more about that. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me on the show. I'm really, I'm, you know, it's exciting to talk to you all and, and um, yeah, talk about some horror and talk about some gay stuff. And I mean, what, what else? <laughs> what more can we talk about? <laughs> so with that being said, we will take a break and we will be right back. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, and we are back with the show. We hope you enjoyed that awesome interview with Jeffrey. Um, I didn't know that he went to Berea College and yeah. I went to EKU, so we all have Kentucky Kentucky Tides. I know. I went to Murray State. <laughs> so. Yeah. Now, Murray is like East, Eastern Kentucky? No, Western Kentucky, yeah. isn't it? Yep. Okay. Yep. But yeah, that's that was pretty cool. And... We hope you support his projects, his upcoming projects. Um, and yeah, just follow him on Twitter. Um, so what else? Do we have anything coming up? Do you have anything coming up before we get up out of here? Um, we, well, you know, we will, we got some more guests coming, which I'm excited about. And um, con season is coming. So you'll be hearing a lot more about that as we get closer. As I said and promised i will talk more about how to prepare for cons um but besides that you know we're just plugging it through about to hit black history month next week so right so white people get your shit together <laughs> who knows what to expect of black history month i think it's gonna it's gonna be a historic month right and you can follow our black asses at porter pizzazz Victor's at Wonderman 5. You can like, rate, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. You can find us on Facebook and I- Instagram. I was about to say IG. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, same thing. <laughs> Facebook and Instagram at Pod. You can visit our website at Uh Let's see. I might have a few things coming out. They're still under the they're still in works, but they still have to do something with fashion. So I'll keep y'all posted on that. Yes. All right. Till then. All right, y'all. Get out. <laughs> <laughs>